Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. We are here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 261, the May 1990 issue on sale March 6th of 1990. And this one's got a cover price of a dollar, and it is titled Harrier's Hunt. Is that really what it was titled? <laughs> yeah, I to me this issue's always been called Hard Case and the Harriers, just because <laughs> that's what it says on the cover. And that's a much better uh, title than Harrier's Hunt. Yeah, why wouldn't you keep that? Nobody knows what Harrier's Hunt is. But when you say Hard Case and the Harriers, you're like, oh, that's a new thing. Yeah. I understand. <laughs> um, and then, Adam, if you remember a while ago, there was a Wolverine issue where Wolverine met, I think his name is Harry Hardcase, but I don't remember. It was mentioned in this very issue. And I said, stick a pin in it, Adam. Number seven or something. And here we are. We're finally at that issue. So, so I saw that and I was like, I don't remember this at all. <laughs> and then they did, they did reference that issue. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I still don't remember this. <laughs> but okay. Um, it's a little misleading because in this issue on the cover and inside the book, it says introducing Hardcase and the Harriers, but technically we've already been introduced to Hardcase. Not necessarily the Harriers, though. Was Wolverine in that issue of Hardcase and the Harriers? What? Or was it the other guy? It was a Wolverine issue, and it had Hardcase. It didn't have the Harriers. Harriers are new. I feel like it had somebody that wasn't Harry Hardcase, if that's what his name actually is. I don't remember. That's like, what his name will be from now on. There was definitely a connection when we read that. I was like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Definitely a connection. I'm just not sure if Harry Hardcase was in it, although he probably was. I also, so this cover, it's a it's a Jim Lee cover. It's it's pretty good. Uh, you got Psylocke in the background kind of overlooking everything. Wolverine's kind of in the midground. He's busting through the wall. And then in the foreground, we've got <laughs> Harry Hardcase, maybe. <laughs> uh, some woman, I don't remember her name. And Jubilee is like passed out. Uh, on Hardcase's shoulder. Um, and I have to ask the question, Adam, because I have a little story to go along with this. Not really directly related, but it's a good segue. If this was on a t-shirt, would you buy it? So I was thinking that. Okay. And uh, I think younger me would be like, yeah. But like older jaded me is like, this looks like Jim Lee by the numbers. Yeah, definitely. It's, he kind of phoned this one in. As a matter of fact, as I kind of went through all of our comics, this uh, for this reading... Jim Lee draws a number of Wolverine. I think he draws the Wolverine cover. I don't. Well, as we get through them, I'll point them out. But every Wolverine pose is the same <laughs> for this <laughs> month, <laughs> where it's just like mouth is open, arms are extended. I'm Wolverine. Um, but in terms of T-shirts, um, I just bought an X-Men T-shirt. It has nothing to do with this particular cover. And I bought it because... Um, of the odd, like it's not an actual comic book cover, but it features characters from the comic. Um, and it was such a weird um, choice of characters and such a weird choice of character costumes that I was like, I got to get it because this it, it's one of those things where it's uh, people going to ask if they see it and they understand the X-Men. Like, what's that from? Where did you get it? Uh, I got it from Kohl's. Okay. Uh, some marketing on Facebook or something like worked and I was like, Oh, look at that. So right now you're setting the bar high. <laughs> yeah. So let me, uh, let me describe this t-shirt to you and maybe if I get around to it, I'll post it on the Facebook webpage. But number one, it's, it's got like the, the kind of the 
80s or 90s kind of silver rounded off border around it. So it's got that going for it. Okay. Uh, um, it's got an X-Men, I think a more modern X-Men logo. It's not the classic X-Men logo that, that we're looking at like on this comic. Um, and then the characters featured, I'm going to go for, there's, there's like four rows of characters here. I'm going to go from the top left uh, down. So we start, we got Storm. We got 90s Storm. So post-child 90s Storm. Then we've got, I believe this is Havoc, but it could also be Cannonball. Because uh, Havoc had kind of a like a blue and yellow costume for a while where he didn't actually have his little Havoc concentric circles costume. So it kind of looks like his costume from X for, X-Factor. Cannonball's always got the goggles in the 90s. Yeah, there's no goggles on this guy. So I'm, I'm thinking it's Havoc. Um, okay. That's the only question mark I think I have on, on this whole... Uh, t-shirt then you've got in the foreground kind of in the like direct foreground you've got uh cyclops in his absolute x-men number one 90s costume mm-hmm. next to him you've got um gene also x-men number one costume then you've got strong guy <laughs> in his x-factor costume right there you're like wait a minute this isn't a normal lineup so then continuing uh from right to left now you've got uh rachel phoenix in her hellhound costume okay weird yeah, which doesn't, I don't think it quite mirrors what's happening in Excalibur, although maybe it does. I guess, I don't know if she really has an established costume in Excalibur these days. Um, then you've got Colossus, and he's, so what we're reading now, or kind of like prior to his transformation, he just has like the underwear, and like his his top is just like all metal. So this is the the kind of the classic yellow and red top costume which I feel like is earlier than the 90s, but maybe they brought it back when they did the whole X-Men uh, relaunch. I don't remember. Yeah, who knows? Then next to that, you've got uh, Boom Boom uh, in a classic uh, uh, Rob Liefeld. She's blowing a bubble. She's got the sunglasses. Okay. Uh, she's giving uh, bunny ears to somebody in the foreground. I'll talk about who that is in a moment. Uh, next to Boom Boom, you've got Professor Xavier. He's wearing a black T-shirt and a purple jacket. So I'm not quite sure what era that's from and he doesn't have like the trademark yellow floating wheelchair but you really okay. can't see his wheelchair at all anyway so it, it could be just miscolored but he's definitely sitting he's sitting well he there's like a thing behind him that looks like the back of a chair but you can't actually see his legs you don't know if he's sitting or not okay then next to him you've got cable of course um kind of in between cable the professor and boom boom uh you've got kitty pride uh she's the one that's getting the uh bunny ears just weird because I don't ever equate uh, Boom Boom and Kitty Pride talking ever, but maybe oh, they, they were like best friends. <laughs> uh, and then you've got you've got Psylocke, you've got Jim Lee Psylocke, and then you've got Megan, <laughs> okay, <laughs> in a green and blue cost or black costume, which I guess is kind of ex- it's a costume I've seen before, but I'm not really sure. It's not like the now costume. I feel like it's like later Megan, although I don't know she's not really a top tier hero. Uh, then going left to right, you've got Polaris in her blue and yellow, so the costume that she's got today. Okay. Uh, then you've got Beast in the foreground. Uh, he's Blue Beast, as you would expect him. And then next to him, the last character is Shatterstar. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and so I saw this lineup and I was like, this is weird. <laughs> like, this was never a team, nor is it like this is X-Men Blue and X-Men Gold. It's just like, it's a bunch of random characters that we're going to slap onto a t-shirt. Yeah, that you can't even really define what the era is at that point. No. I, mean, I, I guess it I guess it has to be because of Shatterstar's inclusion, it has to be in the 90s. Oh, absolutely. It it's definitely 
90s infused, but it's just so weird. And I wonder, like, I, I think Kohl's officially licenses their clothes. So it's not like somebody in China just, like, stamped a bunch of images or, like, look, T-shirt. <laughs> so somebody had to, like, design this shirt. Somebody had to get an okay on it. Uh, it's it's very strange. So, yeah, that's a T-shirt I own. I'm going to Kohl's. <laughs> and I think I spent, like, normally, like, you only buy a Kohl's T-shirt when it's, like, buy one, get one, and they're all $6. Like, I think yeah. I ponied up, like, $15 for one T-shirt. Wow. Yeah. Is it uh, is it a high-quality T-shirt, or is are you going to lose the, uh, the logo in the first wash? Uh, no, the logo is actually really thick. It's almost annoyingly thick to where it doesn't quite move like the rest oh, of the shirt moves. Yeah, yeah I don't really like those does it so much. Does it stick to you? I hate it when it's... A, a little bit, like on a hotter day. It's like, ugh, things got to wear a me. t-shirt under your t-shirt. Yeah, so I know what you're talking about where you've got the sh- the, the image is, is perfectly screen printed on there, but like after four washes, it's just faded and gone. Yeah, which I kind of like nowadays. I mean, that, that has a sort of nostalgia to it. Sure. Especially since they sell those t-shirts like pre-faded oh yeah yeah so anyways there you go uh weird x-men shirts you can get your own at dangerroom.com <laughs> you're selling it for uh 25 dollars each <laughs> so anyways uh, let's let's crack this thing open um we get a we got a full page spread here uh somebody is they got a job and the job is to get jubilee psylocke and wolverine and we're Getting a little dossier on all of them. And of course, everybody, everybody knows Wolverine. Fella needs no introduction. You know only too well who he is and what he does. Wolverine, that's who he is and what he does. And so then we get our two-page spread. Harriers Hunt introducing Hard Case and the Harriers. This is Chris Claremont writing, Mark Silvestri penciling, Dan Green inking, Tom Orzakowski lettering, Mike Rockwitz coloring. Bob Harris is the editor. Tom DeFalco is the editor-in-chief. And we get an extra special credit, Hard Case in the Harriers, created by Chris Claremont and Mark Silvestri. I think they are going for something here. <laughs> well, I think they were definitely saying, let's put our names on it in case Marvel wants us to do a Hard Case in the Harriers comic. It kind of smacks of, like, the Star Jammers, right? Because this first two-page spread, we get everybody's backstory, like, a real quick... Uh, uh, a vignette of all their backstories. Everybody's got a name. We got bow and arrow girl. We got gun guy. We got axe man. We got smart shotgun comic book reading guy. We got Bobby Chase, uh, Marvel editor. <laughs> what? Isn't Bobby Chase a Marvel editor? Oh, I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we have a character named Bobby Chase, which I have to assume mm. is named after Bobby Chase, Marvel editor. It's got to be. You've got some dude named Time Bomb who's just sitting, kind of looking away from everybody else, cross-legged, maybe doing some yoga. Uh, you've got some Russian guy who's got, like, scars all up in his face. And then you got some girl who's, like, collecting a whole bunch of guns in a bag. That's Bobby Chase. Yeah, everybody's got a name. Uh, we could go through them if you want to, Adam, but we're going to forget them by the time this issue is over. Well, here's the thing is... Um I don't remember what most of these people's powers are, and I read the issue. I don't know that all of them have powers. Well, a guy named Time Bomb has to like have at least a specialty. I mean, maybe they don't have powers. Maybe they have specialties. Time Bomb has a power I 
think Blindside has a power, but I think everybody else is like, to me, this is like the introduction of Predator, right? You got all your different guys with their different specialties. And I think that's kind of what this team is. And and I think only a couple of them might actually have powers. And and it might only be Time Bomb, but I don't remember. Remember remember how great Predator was? What a great movie. <laughs> you know, remember when they made one movie and that was <laughs> that was enough? Cuz it was like it was like the perfect blend of you think it's an action movie and then it becomes a sci-fi movie and then it becomes a horror movie. It's it was just great. I have a story uh, real quick. Um I was talking on my teams to one of my 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 team team teammates and uh said something like blah 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 I did this thing and he responded back saying I like it. And I was like, "Oh man, how come you can't find a meme of uh Jesse the Body Ventura with his Gatling gun saying I like it?" And he's like, "I don't I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> and I'm like, what? No, there's a scene. And I explained the scene. He's like, oh, you know what? I've never actually seen Predator. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. This guy's not even that young. It's not everybody's seen Predator. That doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> Did I tell you the story about how I was telling somebody, we were trying to uh, figure out somebody's name. Uh, his name is Patrick O'Connell. Patrick Connell. And we kept adding the O'Connell. We're like, oh, it's so Irish. Ha, ha, ha. And then somehow I was drawing conclusions to various characters and I landed on Jerry O'Connell. It's like, yeah, uh, from Stand By Me. And nobody knew what I was talking about. <laughs> I was like, what? what? That doesn't surprise me. Predator is Predator surprises me. Predator would be a more of a movie that I would expect a people of a certain demographic to know. Whereas Stand By Me, I could see, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was rated R at the time, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, kids probably didn't see it. Those who did were probably traumatized for the rest of their life, like myself. I think my parents took me to see it. They're like, we, really? somehow they knew, like, this is going to be a good movie, and we're going to take you to it. They also took me to Breakfast Club, which I fell asleep during. But later on, <laughs> I, I learned to enjoy that movie. Oh, that was a, that was a classic. I, I watched Predator once with someone who'd never seen it. And sitting through it, the, the, the first part with all the macho men, she's like, this is stupid. Why are you having me watch this? And I'm just like, just wait. Just yeah. wait. And by the end of the movie, she was like, you were right. It was amazing. <laughs> uh, I feel a little bit like that uh, with Con Air. Yes, Con Air is a ridiculously <laughs> macho masculine movie, but it's so much fun. It's so stupid. It, and the thing about Con Air to me is you can't really tell, at least I think to, I, I can't tell if it's a parody because <laughs> it's played it's not played serious, but it's not really played like everybody's in on the gag, except for maybe uh, uh, John Malkovich. He might he might be in on the gag, but everybody else seems to play it pretty straight in terms of like action movie. Steve Buscemi. I think Steve Buscemi's in on the gag. That could be. But it is so out there and ridiculous that you start... So many people I've told this. I'm like, this movie's amazing. They're like... That's the dumbest movie ever. I'm like, no, you have to, like, you really have to, you know, watch it with an eye of like, they're they're not being serious. Like, they're, this is they're not making an actual action film, even though they're like throwing dead bodies out of the airplane to say like, help me or whatever. Um, it's a good movie. Who directed? Was that a Bruckheimer or the other guy? I can't remember if it's Bruckheimer or Michael Bay, but I feel like it's one of them. I feel like if it's Michael Bay, then it was serious. But if it was Bruckheimer, it, maybe it wasn't serious. Either way, it's amazing. Uh, it's, it's, it's one of it's one of those movies that I always list as like a guilty pleasure. We're both completely wrong. It's this dude named Simon West. Uh, so it was produced probably by one of those two. It could, yeah, very well. I think definitely one of those. Their names is on as a producer note. Um, 
You go, Simon West. I don't even know if it's a guilty pleasure. Like, I would look at, like, um, and I'm not saying that these are good movies, but, like, The Expendables, I could see, like, that's a guilty pr- uh, um, pleasure. Like, I like all these guys. It's a terrible movie. I like all these guys. Uh, or the the um, Fast and the... I've never seen a single Fast and the Furious movies, but those, to me, seem like they could be guilty pleasures. Yeah, I feel like I've always wanted to see the Fast and the Furious movies because they seem like the people that are into them are, like, so into them that they have to be stupidly fun. Yeah, yeah. But I've never actually sat down and watched them, or an Expendables, for that matter. I saw the first Expendables. It was I, it was not as... um wasn't what I was looking for. I really thought it was going to be, like, way over the top of, like, we got all these guys, we're just going to do all these crazy things, and, and we're really not going to focus much on the plot. We're just going to do things. And eh, there was a little bit of that, but eh, to me, eh, <laughs> um, anyways, the movie series that I want to uh, explore one day uh, is uh, Crank. I, I hear really good things about Crank 1 and Crank 2. And I've seen the blast. first Crank, and yes, that is that is a blast. Yeah, so it's on my list. One one day I'll get to them. In fact, the whole the whole spectrum of that one actor's films during that period are amazing. Yeah, it's where he just made the same movie over and over again, but it's it's always good. And spacing so much on his name. Yeah, I don't know his name either. Doesn't matter. Someone out there knows it. That's all that matters. Shotgun uh, is his name, uh, and he is the guy with glasses and a crew cut. Uh, he's reading what the. Yeah, he's a regular Marvel Comics reader. Yep. And so they're all kind of like, oh, this is a waste of time trying to get these people. One of them's a kid. You know, Hardcase, Harry Hardcase looks like Cable. Is his name Harry Hardcase? No, yeah. it's... A, it's, it's oh, a, no, it's Sergeant it's Harry Malone. Malone. Yeah. Which, you know, screw that. It's Harry Hardcase. <laughs> um, and apparently, so somebody's paid them for this job, and so... Uh, Shield. They were all members of Shield, I guess, and and I guess maybe in the pages of Marvel recently, some stuff's gone down with Shield, so they're yes. more or less unemployed. I don't remember how it all ended, but I did read it. It was Nick Fury versus Shield, and just like in the movies, somebody. It turns out that somebody is behind all of Shield, and Nick Fury has to bring it down. Mm-hmm. Captain America was not involved, but it was a pretty good story. I just don't remember the ending for some reason. Anyways, yeah. So fast forward uh, over to um well before we fast forward to uh low town i want to i just want to reference that uh hard case harry says <laughs> i like that even better <laughs> hard case harry says now that we're freelance shotgun no work means no bucks we need both in no small measure thanks to the botch you and axe made of our golden triangle caper see mm. wolverine number five so I feel like, was it Shotgun and Axe who were in that? And maybe they just referred to Harry? It's like, oh, Harry. And maybe they called him on the comm. Hard case Harry, what's going on? And he was like, hey, Axe, hey, Shotgun, come back. We got we got to get together for some Harrier missions. I don't know, but there was definitely a connection that I made. I was like, ooh, ooh, this connects to the X-Men somehow. Okay. I don't remember what it was, though. I have no I, idea. I, I remember that happening, but I don't remember what the connection was. Like many of the Wolverine comics, I think you read it, and then I flipped through the comic, and I was like, hey. <laughs> What's this? <laughs> uh, all right. Well, anyways, in Lowtown, which I believe they're still in Hong Kong, right? Uh, yes. I, yeah, I guess so, yeah. Or Madripoor. They're overseas. 
They are, I think, I think they are in, well, doesn't it say, okay, so Madripoor, Lowtown. Okay. Yeah, so, so Hardcase and the Harriers are in Madripoor, and uh, so Jubilee, Wolverine, and Psylocke are also in Madripoor, having flown there in a boat last, or not flown, uh, that's right. having sailed there in a boat from Hong Kong. It all comes together. Yes, and so they're at a Madriporian restaurant, or just a Chinese restaurant? Jubilee says, I'm mad as heck and I'm not going to take it this anymore. She's hungry. She doesn't want all this, this Asian food. It's disgusting. She wants some McBurgers. And I say, would she know that reference? But I guess that's a big enough reference. What's that, a, McBurgers? A, no, I'm mad as heck and I'm not going to take it anymore. It's it's a reference from a movie. but it's yeah. a, She probably hasn't seen the movie, but she probably knows the reference. Yeah. That's my feeling. Uh, to answer your question, I don't know what the food is. It looks like it's it looks like it's authentic Chinese, um, but I couldn't tell you if it's Madriporian because that's yeah. not a real. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy brings her a bowl of food. It looks like there's some maybe a giant prawn in it or a couple giant prawns in it, and uh, she's like, "Oh, it better not be wiggle." And then one of the prawns either moves or just falls into the soup. I can't tell which, but there's steam coming off the soup, so. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> I don't know. Then she 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 stands on her chair. She's like, that's it, I ate it, I ate it." So was the thing in her soup alive? Because that doesn't make any sense. Um, yes and yes. Yes, okay. it was alive, and yes, it doesn't make any sense. Okay. So unless the two little prawns on the side are alive and they're supposed to fall into the boiling <laughs> hot soup, <laughs> I which don't I can know. understand why Jubilee wouldn't want to eat that. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Anyway, so she's. She wants to get back to civilization because now they're in this stupid, stinking, uncivilized armpit of creation. And then she looks over and uh, Psylocke is staring at them and she's got like this open fronted shirt that's exposing almost all of her boobs, which is (laughs) weird. This is Psylocke's new costume, which is just a a gown showing off her boobs. This is her disguise. (laughs) Nobody will notice me if I wear this. It's true. People will not be paying attention to her face. <laughs> yes. Just her legs and her boobs. Boobs. Um, where are we? The, what is going on? Now we're returning to the boob podcast. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, she, she's like, why is she looking at me? Jubilee's wondering this. And Wolverine's like, because you're making so much noise. Did she say she wanted McBurgers before and they bring her McBurgers? Or is that just they bring her McBurgers after that? Yeah, they bring her McBurgers after that. I kind of okay. added some of that early on. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So anyways, uh, one of the chefs brings out McBurgers, a couple burgers, a soda, and some french fries, and she is really happy about this. Yeah, I told you. I only do food that looks like McBurgers. Psylocke goes into her, uh, I don't know, what do you want to call this? Astral As- form. Astral, astral form. Sure. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, psychic form not sure i'm not sure why she needs to do this right now but i guess it's a way that she is communicating with wolverine right now telepathically um and it also gives us a convenient way that we can keep nick fury and carol danvers in the story and have them interact with psylocke's astral form as they do i think that's the whole point right psylocke can astrally project and then she can communicate with with uh, carol and Nick and Wolverine, they can all have this conversation. And she even, the whole point of her conversation is like, these people aren't real. Why do you think they're real? And also, why am I affected by them as well? 
What's more real, Psylocke, than a body's memories? Says Wolverine. Carol does a kick. Betsy jumps. And she's like, if we're not real, then why do you react to what we do? Take the X-Men. Can't be photographed or detected. Psychically or technologically. Virtually impossible to prove you exist unless someone out and out sees you. Who's to say that fella isn't imagining things? That's not a great argument, but okay. <laughs> Anyways, it's it's a good way to burn a page because on the next page, uh, Axe, I think, his arms bust through the wall and pulls Wolverine out of his chair and out of this restaurant. Darn you, Psylocke, says Jubilee. Why didn't you warn us? Yeah. She uses, oh, she gets hit. She doesn't even get to use her powers. Somebody, what is this, like a smoke grenade? Somebody hits her in the chest with a bang. Oh, it was shotgun. He shot her in the chest. Yes. On the last panel, we see Psylocke in her astral form. She's like, smoke, tear gas, Jubilee, she's been shot. And you can even see on Jubilee's chest, there's blood. So, easy come, easy go. Jubilee's gone. She's dead. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) It's really starting to like her, but what can you do? Such is life. We get some classic comedy on the next page where we open up in a dark Salem center inside of Professor Xavier's school for gifted youngsters. Banshee is walking around in the dark and he's saying blessed a lot. <laughs> turn him on, blessed! Or turn so, him blessed on! Yeah, ble- blessed here is a is essentially a fill-in for a swear word. No, I'm blessed not. I've been... I just fallen flat on my blessed face. Thank ye very much. Now, what about those blessed lights? <laughs> Turn them blessed on. <laughs> so they're in the X mansion. They're under the X mansion. They're they're tapping into the computer banks. I guess. And they got night vision goggles on because they were in the dark just now. Which begs the question: Why did Banshee run into something? Uh that's okay. <laughs> I don't. There, I thought there was some dialogue here, but what's the problem, Irish? That's why we're wearing my sight blind helmets so we can get around in pitch darkness. Ah. Some of us, Bucko, are a wee bit more proficient than others, or maybe in too much of a hurry. Still don't understand why we're here at the X Mansion. Thought we were bound for Hollywood after Dazzler. In a good time, a forge. But first, now that we know some of the X Men are still alive, I want to take a stab at turning. Determining who's stopping us, who's after stopping us from catching them. No one knew we'd be on Kyranos, yet we were nearly ambushed and killed. Why do you figure, Banshee, Moira McTaggart set us up, Forge asks. So I had a problem with some of this dialogue, because like, now that we know some of the X-Men are still alive, other than Forge's intuition that Storm alive, and now that they know that Dazzler is alive... That's that's really it. They're kind of going on a lead here. Uh, when they met with Polaris, Polaris was like, "I saw all the X Men. They're fine." Oh, okay. And so mm-hmm. now, now with Dazzler turning up and the Storm thing, now they're like, "Oh, we got to find the X Men. They're around." Gotcha. And so they, when the plane blew up, they just assumed that someone's trying to stop them. Yeah, but it wasn't like a coincidence. Okay. Very. A little bit more uh, Banshee talking about Moira's not quite the woman that he, he originally fell in love with. We get kind of a side-by-side of her kind of rough and tough personality and then her old kind of green shirt, happy-go-lucky uh, shirt. Which is really just her in an X-out uniform and her not in an X-uniform. 
other than that, she's got some bangs in her face. But yeah. Pretty much, she's kind of the same. Yeah. I don't so know. what I want to know is this. So we're, we're assuming this is the Shadow King, right? The Shadow King has taken over Legion and Legion yes. has taken over uh, Moira McTaggart. And Shadow King is probably is pulling some strings in whatever's happening with the Storm uh, storyline. So does Shadow King having like, what does Shadow King's power entail? When he takes over somebody, does he say, realize that they have a mutant power that allows them to recreate reality every time <laughs> they die? I'm just curious. Just asking for a friend. Oh, uh, sure. Um, I, I would, I expect that as a part of that whole process, she would have told Professor Xavier, something's going to happen, laddie. You got to put up psychic barriers so that I don't even remember. And All right. I so, like the way you think. That's good. That's good. Right now, the psychic barriers are up there. And, you know, who's to say, you know, maybe uh, think about it. Like Shadow King is using Legion to kind of manipulate the island. So Shadow King's one person removed. So maybe he's just not quite in tune with what's happening. And maybe if he was doing it directly, he'd be like, oh, man, psychic barriers. What's behind here? But. You are a retcon master. Yeah, man. Give me that note prize. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, um, so they talk more and more about that. Um, I don't think they really come to any conclusions other than we got to find the X-Men. Forge, if something happens to us, there's no one left to seek out the X-Men. Okay, they take care of themselves. You're the one who started this whole thing, Forge. What the heck? It is interesting that Forge kind of started this and Banshee's like, now he's driving the bus. He's like, ah, man, I got a plan. We're going to the mansion. We're going to find all these people. And Forge is like, oh, what are we doing? <laughs> um, Nothing about how Forge wants to find Storm anymore. Oh, man. This is... So a couple of frustrating things about this issue is that I kind of like it because it's another one of those connective glue issues. Like we're getting a lot of uh, um, uh, um, story. We're getting a lot of background but it just it feels like there's also just a ton of filler in here because now Forge is telling Banshee that the X-Men are invisible to all forms of remote detection. <laughs> like, we just saw this like two pages ago. Yeah, it uh, is kind of weird. I, I, I do realize that they're just mentioning this twice in the same issue. But Banshee does say, you're the maker. So I guess the idea here is that maybe Forge can make a device that can detect X-Men. You need to make a Cerebro. Can Cerebro detect the X-Men? That's a good question that I just asked. I don't know. I mean, you you need a telepath to, to utilize that. And I, don't, I think we're kind of short on those right now. That's true. Uh, but speaking Is of it, people that are sort of telepathically inclined, uh, Gene shows up at the destruction. Yes. Yeah, uh, Banshee and, and Forge are still talking outside of the, the mansion. They they left the uh, the wherever they were, the cave or whatever. No, I think uh, they're they're underneath the mansion, aren't they? Oh, they're looking at like a screen? Yeah, they're looking at like a Vizzy screen. Oh, okay. All right, so they're still underground looking at a Vizzy screen. And it's weird because they're like, oh, take a look, it's Gene. And we don't get a, like, we're going to talk about some stuff that happens, but they don't like come up or even comment on what's happening. Do they know that Gene is alive? I forget. Uh, uh, presumably they do because like the X the X-Men bumped into them and they probably were like hey uh, Banshee we just found out that Gene's still alive cool right Banshee says glory forge that's Gene Grey 
Uh, and I would expect that everybody got like a, like a condolences card for Madeline's death. Everybody's probably aware that X Factor is a thing in New York because they're kind of celebrities at this point. There, there was that Marvel Comics Presents where Cyclops went to Muir Island mm-hmm. and met up with Master Mold. Maybe he told uh, Gene uh, and Banshee and, and yeah. Moira that Gene was alive. I would also expect that you know, with Polaris's adventures and, and even when she was taken over by Malice uh, in the battle between X-Men and X-Factor, she probably would have been able to be like, oh, when I was possessed, fought Jean Grey. Isn't that weird? <laughs> she was dead, but she's not. Well, did she did she fight Jean Grey or did she just fight Madeline? Who Polaris? Ma- yeah. Malice. I don't remember. I, I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> there was an X Factor issue and an X Men issue, and then I think they were each individually fighting Marauders, and then they fought each other. So, I don't know. So don't Jean remember. is back at the mansion. This is my first chance since Inferno, in quotes, to visit the school because everybody's just calling it that now. Or rather, what's left of it. When Mr. Sinister blew this place to blitz, he didn't mess around. She's kind of floating around. There are some people that look like mutants, but one of them has Wolverine spiky hair. <laughs> there, this is tied into X-Factor. Uh, I know. This I happens mean, after events of X-Factor, which aren't super important. But I can't wait till we get to that so we can connect the <laughs> tissue and be like, hey, hey, this is what happened before this. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, well, it, it shows a nice cohesion in the Marvel bullpen. They are working together this month. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. There's a bunch of tie-ins here. Um, Jean discovers a photo of what she thinks is Rogue and pulls it out, and it turns out to be a uh, photo of Scott and Madeline's wedding. And she starts to think about how Scott wants to marry her now, which we did find out in the last issue of X-Factor. She said no. Uh, once not so terribly long ago, that would have made me the happiest of girls. Times I thought the way we fit together was almost as if the things had been preordained. What the devil? She Get gets her. attacked by those mutants that I mentioned before. Plenty of pre- pretty greedy guts, enough to share. And uh, then she goes into like this battle where all of these creatures... Turn into various forms of the X Men. I think you got Wolverine, Storm, Colossus. Looks like just their faces are the X Men. Their, yeah. their bodies remain mutants. Yeah, they've got like tentacles. One guy's got three arms. This explains why that guy had Wolverine hair. Yeah, yeah. So then she she feels a presence looking at her from behind. So she turns around and she sees Madeline in the X Factor uniform, and then like a Jean face jumps out of Madeline's mouth and. And hits Jean in the neck, and then they both disappear. It's, she says another twin, a clone like Madeline, but she's wearing my X Factor uniform. All right, lady, I want an X. And that's when the face of Jean comes out of the face of Jean, kind of like Alien. And uh, yeah, it does exactly what you said. They disappear. Which um, I think there was a disappearance. Is there a disappearance earlier or later? I thought there was another zip. Oh yeah, there's a uh, there's a zwip of the photo that she so, yeah the photo zwips. So whoever it is teleporting these people to wherever they also needed that photo. Yeah, so it feels to me, anyways, this could be another Shadow King thing. I have no idea because um, I 
you know, these could actually be real creatures. They could be Morlocks or they could just be figments of our imagination. I don't really remember. Um, I'm sure we'll find out as the time goes. But it also feels to me like Jean has put like the Madeline demon to rest like three times where she's like, finally, I'm free of that. And then like, oh, it comes back again. Well, Chris Claremont hasn't done it yet. So, you know, it's his turn. That's true. That is very true. I think it's happened in like two other stories that weren't the X-Men. So to come back and be like, oh, I guess I'm not done with the Madeline demon is it's kind of feeling a little redundant now, but I honestly don't remember where any of this goes. So we'll see. Meanwhile, in Athens, we thought Scylla was dead, the pilot of the airplane, but she's not. She's in the hospital. She's in a full body cast except for one eye, a nose, and her mouth. Is that who this is? Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And Lady Deathstrike and Pierce are there, and they're like, hey, do you want to be stuck like this for the rest of your life, or do you want to be better? And she's like, well, I want to be better. I mean, duh. <laughs> Take me. I'm yours. Hey, pal, if it'll get me out of this linen coffin and back into the sky, I'm yours. I'm yours. So Jubilee wakes up in Madripoor. She's like, oh, my God, I got shot in the stomach. Oh, I'm fine. Hmm, weird. Something punched me hard. Mm, and then she looks at her shirt and it's covered in a yellow goo. She also says that her chest is totally day-glow bruised, so whatever hit her left a bruise behind. She wonders what the stain is on her her outfit, and that's when uh, Psylocke barges in with her boobs hanging out. <laughs> Count yourself fortunate to Jubilee. This shell that struck you was designed to incapacitate and not kill. Ah, and she jumps underneath the bed and hides from, Jubil- or from Psylocke. Well, she's scary right now. And Psylocke's, are you hiding under there? Which, based on the previous panel, it looks like Psylocke saw the whole thing. <laughs> you wish, and then you, who you calling a child? Hey, way you busted in here. You're fortunate I didn't blast you all the way back to England. And Rose Wu, remember her? She yeah, I do. She comes in. Um, I thought, oh wait, Jubilee says this. I thought her turf was Hong Kong. What's she doing in Madripoor? So now we've uh, displaced this character. Sure. I know she I know she has a future in Madripoor, so that's cool. Why are you frightening the child, Psylocke? I am not a child! Not scared either! No way, no how. I find Wolf I've found Wolverine, says Betsy. Hey, way to go, Team Betsy. Far too easily, it's a trap. And then they say, Alright, let's go set it. Julie's like, Yeah, I wanna come. Julie's or Psylocke's like, No. Jubilee's like, yeah. So Alex's like, all right, fine. <laughs> He's my friend too, Rose. I can help. I've got to. Hey, these creeps who grabbed him, they trashed my best outfit. They owe me. So the plan is, is they show up on the docks. Jubilee puts on some, like a big frumpy shirt, dress shirt, big frumpy pants. Uh, she's combing her hair back. Uh, she's she's going to be a boy here for this plan. And part of the plan involves Rose gathering up Wolverine's Madripoor friends and showing up later. So they uh, they go through with the plan. Jubilee, uh, dressed as a boy, comes in with a bunch of pizzas. Dominic's Pizza, you call it in. We dish it out. Okay, I got your basic pie, your super special, your veg delight, Polynesian combo, sausage, anchovy, teriyaki, sushi, Beijing duck, and pepperoni with pineapple. So fork over the green to settle the tab. And we get... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight question marks coming from the Harriers. Remember the Harriers? They're at the I, beginning of the issue. I do. I think so far, outside of that first panel, we've seen like two of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Psylocke is 
snuck into the ceiling. She's up in the rafters and she's like, all right, keep your attention focused on or keep their attention on you. And one of the guys, I, I don't know who he is, but he, he grabs a slice of pizza. He's the Russian guy because he's seeing Russian stuff. Oh, caviar. Zado, z- z- dort. I don't yeah, sure. <laughs> Zadorova. 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 What do you Volvo. say? When, <laughs> what do you say when you drink? Because I feel like that's what he should have said. Nastrovia. Nastrovia. Yeah, that's what he should have said. Uh, and and uh, Julie's like, hey, no moolah, no munchies. And then uh, the bow and arrow guy, I don't remember what his name is, he shoots an arrow through the pizza. It says, put that back. Don't you realize this is probably a trick? <laughs> I think Hardcase, Harry Hardcase does that. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember when we used to do translations? Yes. I'm, I'm betting that Zdorova is just Russian for caviar or ah, some sort of fish. You're probably right. Because he's doing one of those classic caviar, and then I'm going to say it again in my language, things that Nightcrawler used to do all the time. Yes. Uh, Jubilee says, sorry, Spunky. She doesn't say Bunky. She says Spunky. Um, I've got other ideas. And uh, the Russian guy drops all of the pizzas on the ground, which is important for later. Short Vomzi, Vazmi, he says. We've done that one before. It sounds right. It sounds familiar. I don't remember what it meant, but we've, we've done it. Cut it out. <laughs> uh, Jubilee spins as fast as possible, spinning light everywhere, confusing everybody. And uh, one of the blasts hits Wolverine because uh, he's, but we missed this. He's in a cage uh, hung from the ceiling. And so when Jubilee's lightning or, or whatever hits the chain, it sets him free. I feel like we should be keeping track of Jubilee's powers because <laughs> uh, I don't feel like this is what they are now. But I mean, you know, I don't know. We'll, I guess we'll, I guess, I guess since we're not keeping track, we'll never know. They're whatever the plot needs. Yeah. The cage drops from the ceiling, the rafters and lands opening and, uh, Jubilee dives behind, behind a bunch of boxes, crates, and somebody goes after her, but they she kind of hides in a different area. She she runs to the side, and they're starting to look at the crates where she used to be, and she thinks to herself, Major League Micros, what, are, what they figure I'm going to stay here where I ducked? Be real. Cute suits, though. You can So tight, you can see darn near everything. Almost ashamed to muss them, but fair's fair, and I'm a shameless kind of gal. So she launches one of her fireworks into the big black guy's pants, which blows a hole. I guess now you can see his butt, because he he clasps it as smoke uh, comes out, or or he's farting, one of the two. <laughs> and uh, I'm assuming this is axe. Yeah, and uh, shotgun. He's grabbed a bucket labeled fire, and he's gonna dump it on axe's butt. But I don't know if it's a if it's a, a, a um, if it's a, a basket for fire, or if it's a basket of fire, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who labels a basket fire? <laughs> uh, and uh, hard case here, Harry Hard Case. He's like pathetic, best of the breed, team trained and equipped to take on the Avengers, being made fools of by a little girl. He does not seem to be taking any of this seriously. The uh, the, the 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 Jubilee bomb inside of the. X's pants thing reminds me of Boom Boom. Yes. Well, she even kind of like makes a time bomb and flicks it into his pants. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very, all she needed to say was three, two, one. Yeah. Uh, Psylocke is in the rafters presenting to somebody off panel. 
she's not really doing much. I mean, this whole time she's been kind of like, what is she like locating, finding a good spot to emerge? This seems like she should have emerged by now. I mean, Wolverine's already been rescued. What is she doing up there? I'm telling you, she's in heat and she's presenting. She's the way Sylvester's drawn her is pretty ridiculous. To be fair, if you were up in the rafters and you were kind of like trying to, you know, make sure you didn't fall, you'd probably accidentally be presenting as well. <laughs> okay. Yeah, anyways, you're right. She's not really doing anything yet. Um and she gets kicked in the face for it. Don't have such uh inhibition, sweetheart. When you're, why is she talking out loud? That's another good question. So she is talking out loud and somebody responds to her by kicking in the face. Not a very good ninja. I'll just sit up here and talk to myself and hope no one notices me. Uh, that was blindside. And I think what we've realized, blindside has a power or technology to kind of do psychic dampening. So she is able to blindside people and kick right. them in the face. Which is why they were able to get the jump on them at that Chinese restaurant earlier in the book and why she was able to get uh, the jump on Psylocke here. Her thoughts, like Quicksilver, almost impossible to lock in on them. Has to be why my telepathy didn't spot her. And they're still up. They fall from the rafters to a set of lower rafters. Because <laughs> this is a well-built architectural masterpiece of a shed. <laughs> Uh, and uh, Blindside thinks she's getting the best of Psylocke. She's kicking her and then punches her in the head, but her fist goes through and she's like, what? And Psylocke's like, I did that thing or I made you think I was somewhere else. But Time Bomb, Time Bomb doesn't actually have any powers. He's just a pyrotechnic. So he's got the whole place rigged up with Time Bombs. Is there any part of this warehouse you haven't rigged to explode? Says Blindside as both she and Psylocke fall from the second set of rafters. Warhawk shows up and and maybe there's a little bit of love interest between Warhawk and Blindside. And this is where I'm like, wait, was Warhawk in the initial sequence? I'm pretty sure he was, <laughs> but he didn't have these wings. I don't remember a guy who had wings. Yeah, he didn't have wings, but I'm sure there was like, Warhawk, he likes wings. All right, I'm flipping forward. Okay, you know what? He's there and he has wings. Yeah, they're, they're strapping on his uh, backpack. They're like... I'll lift off two meters, Lifeline, see if the modification holds. Lifeline. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, I'll catch you. <laughs> so they set it up, man. <laughs> so so Lifeline's job is to catch people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, anyways, Psylocke, uh, they're like, oh, what about Psylocke? She's going to splat on the ground. But, but Psylocke, she lands like a cat. She lands on her feet better than a cat. Yep. Well, after you get done presenting like a cat, you can land like a cat. <laughs> yeah, no, this is... <laughs> uh, and then the guy that likes machine guns I don't know Chica, he, he trips her and steps on her uh, chest it looks like and points a gun on her behave Chica and don't try no mind tricks neither here's the girl uh, says Axe she caught Jubilee she's mine they now realize that Jubilee is a girl I'm not sure where that happened probably probably when she spoke I would imagine see what she did my traveling stash oh comics ruined Big mistake, brat. You up and won yourself a wallow open. You ain't never. And then we get the telltale snicket and then a terrible drawing of Wolverine. <laughs> Think fast, shotgun. Think twice. Your next move could be a lifesaver. Okay, so here's my question. Wolverine in the bar is dressed in a t-shirt or not. Yep. He's, he's dressed in a he's just in a shirt, like a dress shirt. I think he's dressed up like Patch. 
It's yeah, he's dressed up like past with a, in a dress shirt that's buttoned down so you can see that he doesn't have anything on underneath the dress shirt. Yeah. He's got a belt, he's got pants. Presumably when they lock him up, we don't see him, but we do see that like we we see his silhouette in the cage. Doesn't look like he's wearing his cowl. You're right. Um, in the cage it almost looks like he's naked. So why is he wearing his costume here? Did he is that where he's been this whole time? He was like, uh, oh, one of these crates conveniently has my costume in it. Yeah, well, as as all of these antics were occurring, he ran out to his boat, got his costume, and then ran back. Because as we learn, Adam, like this whole thing was a test between Psylocke and, and uh, uh, Jubilee that Wolverine had set up to see if they could work as a team. And Hardcase, Harry Hardcase, is he's setting up his new Harrier franchise. He wanted to see how they were faring. And so this whole thing was an agreement between the two to test out their respective teams. So you think when Wolverine dropped out of the cage, he like went over to where Hardcase was? was like, hey, give me that spare costume. I want to yes. really make an impact. Well, Hardcase was there. He's like, here you go, I guess... I guess we'll see how this next part goes, but here's your costume. Man, your guys are really totaling my guys. <laughs> so they all kind of break down what I just said uh, over slices of pizza that had been slathered all over the ground. So that's gross. Well, it's, it's you know, there were like 30 or 40 boxes. That's I'm true. I'm sure at least one of those boxes is okay. It was like $500 worth of pizza there. It was. I don't understand how they got all that pizza. <laughs> Uh, anyways, it's a shotgun and Jubilee makeup. I'm like, sorry about your comics. Sorry about your shirt. And they both say at the same time, I think I can get you a new one. No hard feelings then. To which if I was shotgun, I'd be like, what do you mean a new one? <laughs> there was a stack of comics. <laughs> Some of those were first prints. Uh, that's when Rose shows up. She's got Colleen Wing, other girl, Misty Knight, I think. Neither of those people. Damn. Who are the people in the foreground? <laughs> that is Lindsay McCabe and oh. Jessica Drew. Well, that's, that's what I meant. <laughs> you were close. <laughs> and as, far, as, far, as far as your ability to draw up names of characters that we normally can't remember at all, I, I give you an A+. Plus. <laughs> Great. And two other characters flanking them that I don't know who they are. One of them's got like a, um, a uh, 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 fishnet mesh shirt, which is kind of hot. Yeah, he's a he's a manly man, that is for sure. You don't go you don't go somewhere in a mesh suit if you're not ready to rumble. Yeah, I agree. Still breathing, Rose. Still smiling. Settle for that. What we got here, darling? The Wolverine Rescue Squad. Much obliged. Plenty of pizza left. Pull up some crates and join the party. Enjoy the fun while you can, my friends. Thinks Wolverine to himself, because next time it'll be for real and for keeps. So do you think he means uh, like just next the next battle will be for real and for keeps, or the next time they meet Hardcase and the Harriers trademark, it'll be for real and for keeps? I think he means the next battle in general, but I kind of hope that it means like since we never see Hardcase and the Harriers again, <laughs> like right in the middle of the the pizza, Wolverine like drops his pizza and like murders them all. <laughs> you know, I I don't know, I I. Uh... I wonder if there's a time, a point in time where Chris Claremont and uh, Mark Silvestri get together for a beer and a slice of pizza or whatever they do. Because they got to get together. Maybe they don't. But in my mind, they get together. Do they ever like lament like, oh, man, think of what could have been with Hardcase and the Harriers. <laughs> uh, and then Silvestri says, 
Yeah, I kind of did that with Cyberforce. Uh, that was the direction I was planning to go with hard case and Harriers anyway. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, I got to do it and you didn't. <laughs> Remember when we all went to Image and you went nowhere? Didn't uh, Chris Claremont? I think he went to DC during that time period. Because I, I seem to remember there being, I want to say it's called Sovereign 7 or something. And I was collecting it just because I was like, it's Chris Claremont. This will no. be the new X-Men. And it wasn't. Not me. I can't even remember when this was. It was probably not in the 90s. It was probably in the 2000s. Yeah, uh, in terms of my radar, um, Chris Claremont leaves the X-Men. There's forced out. I think on like issue three of X-Men. Yeah, I think they as they gave him like as a reward, probably because they didn't have anybody to write the new X-Men. They were like, you can write the first three issues and then you're out. I feel like though the plan was for it to be like a Claremont-Lee joint, but it very quickly deteriorated. But there's probably better historians that have more accurate information than I on that whole thing. It's in the it's in the book that we mentioned sometimes the history of Marvel comics. I, I will uh, before when we get to that part, I will make sure to reread it. One day, one day I should read that, and then I could also uh, participate in that conversation. We could relate the same information to each other. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I read that too. <laughs> and here's what else I read. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we got some some mail from Close Shave Xavier. We sure did. I'm going to let you summarize all this because there's a lot. And I think he's got a lot of good stuff to say about you. And I think he just makes fun of me the whole time. I think he only says one thing about me. And I don't think he says anything about either of us after that. But uh, he he wrote us two letters. And we'll we'll, we'll go through them. Uh, I'm not as good as editing on the fly as you are. So I will just kind of read it and drop stuff when I can. Uh, Award yourself a no prize, Adam, for correctly guessing that... That that was it. <laughs> That's where he mentions me. Uh, for correctly guessing that 256 was my favorite issue of the X-Men, I previously mentioned a grand reveal when you eventually reviewed it, but since you reliably experience migraines, whenever I get into any kind of conceptual substrate involving the X-Men, I've decided out of sheer compassion to give you a break from my usual excesses. I'll merely say that 256 is a big reason why I discovered that reading for pleasure was a thing and why I remain curious about the world, not just the X universe 30 years later, sincerely. And I, I kind of want to, I, I just want to like tell a story. Oh. Um, it's uh, like a long, a long time ago. And this, this relates sort of what, to what uh, close shave, a shave year. Should I, should I go put like a kettle of tea on for this? Um, well, then you wouldn't know when to come back in. So as long as you can hear me, Oh, <laughs> I mean, you're welcome to interrupt my story as as you see fit. I, oh, it's, okay, okay. It's a it's a fairly short story. I'm not, I'm not like I was going to settle in, start <laughs> a little fire in the fireplace. It's it's not like a fireside chat or anything. Oh, okay. So it's like uh, when I when I was younger and my girlfriend at the time uh, was very smart. She attempted to teach me in the space of a few hours all of the philosophical writings of Frederick Nietzsche. So I don't know if you're familiar with any of that, Jeremy, but I certainly was not. And to this day, I certainly am not. I am familiar with the name. And I also know that there's a lot of snobby people that are like, got to read Nietzsche. And I'm like, meh. <laughs> but I mean, I to teach their own. Like, I don't, I don't want to judge. Like, if you find 
The different trucks for different folks, right? Yeah, exactly. It's not my cup of tea, but maybe I just haven't had enough of that tea to fully appreciate it. So it could be on me. I'm not saying it's all about them. Carry on, Adam. So, so by the end of that, like couple of hours, um, I, I complained and I said something stupid, like my brain hurts, which it legitimately did because the, 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 like she was, she was a very good explainer and she, she, the, when she described all of this person's philosophies, uh, it made me think about things that my little brain had never conceived before. It was kind of like uh, uh, like opening your eyes for the first time, except opening your brain. And my brain like le- legitimately hurt. Uh, but I think because of that response, uh, because I complained, she never tried to teach me anything in that manner again, which I regret to this day because I, I could have learned a lot. Um it is, it is never a bad thing to have confidants, friends, or listeners that are smarter than you, I think. And I think a lot of our fans are uh, that. In fact, one of the joys of having a podcast is that people actually listen uh, uh, to you and that a lot of your audience is going to be smarter than you and interpreting things differently than you and bringing that to the table and pointing things out that you may not have even thought of. And, and that, to me, is a beautiful thing. So I just want to say, close to Jave Xavier, that uh, if we ever sound dismissive, and this goes to anybody else as well, if we've ever sounded dim- dismissive or smart alecky in response to something that is clearly smarter than we are, just understand that it is never a request for anybody to stop hurting our brains, but instead it's just a lack of proper vocabulary on our part where we would properly, how to properly respond to these kind of high level concepts. So we're 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 like the person that, at the party who keeps to themselves and keeps getting misinterpreted as judging when in fact we're just shy. So please don't ever stop inviting us to the party. <laughs> wow, you're really getting some stuff out here. Keep going. Yeah, I like yeah. it. <laughs> that that that's all I got. That's it. That's oh, okay, it. okay. I just want I just wanted to say like, you know, don't don't ever like censor yourself on our behalf because yeah. we. We want we want you to break us. So, with that yeah. out of the way, back to the letter. Uh, a couple clarifying points about the issue itself. There's some sneaky foreshadowing from Psylocke's induced dream in which she encounters her lost teammates in context places where they uh, will eventually emerge from the Siege Perilous. I love little details like that. It suggests that the creators have a goal and a vision and that they care about what they're doing, which, yeah, I agree. That's that's pretty cool that they they knew stuff ahead it's always i mean that's true of anything right it's kind of like what they didn't do with the new star wars movies yeah it's make it's, a plan <laughs> yeah and well, plant seeds early and often and then have them pay off yeah yeah i mean that's a whole other <laughs> Sorry. Can of worms let's not let's not go down that rabbit hole uh two i interpreted Bretzi's mischievous smile in the last panel as meaning that she had partially broken the hands brainwashing makes sense to me if you look at her dream confrontation with a taskmaster she literally shatters the mask to uh, reveal the mandarin since the purpose of the dream was to sever her connection with the past and install her new software the defeat of the taskmaster mandarin seems to suggest that the brainwashing wasn't entirely successful and remember, the hand's psychics died during the brainwashing attempts, so the last part of the dream wasn't monitored, meaning the hand and the Mandarin don't know the results. Betsy is likely aware of this and probably paying possum. The evil smile is a bit of a red herring to uh, meant to dismay, deceive or mislead readers, which makes total sense to me. I don't know what we said 
we must have not we must not have said anything. I don't remember. We but, definitely yeah, mentioned the smile, but but the, this uh, yeah totally makes sense to me. Uh, and then he says anyway. To that's my two cents. Till next time, which is shortly thereafter. Um, One thing I'll say before we c- carry on, like I am, I'm just skimming through uh, two fifty nine right now, or, or two fifty six rather, and uh, I didn't put that together. But but he's absolutely right that these seeds were planted uh, immediately in terms of Colossus is at an easel doing art in a studio. Dazzler's on a stage. We don't really know where Dazzler's going to go, but I think we can assume that she's headed towards the spotlight with the whole movie thing that's going on. Um, Havoc's running away from Genosha, which we haven't really covered yet. And then Storm? Storm is probably the most confusing because they're just at, like, the body shop or something. So maybe is it... Ooh, is that how Storm gets back to an adult? Because I honestly don't remember. I, I don't think so, but I honestly am not 100% sure. I remember when it happens, but I don't remember why it happens. Okay. Stories for another day. Um, I was going to say something... And then you distracted me with the storm stuff. I was going to respond to exactly what you were saying. And then you said something else that was more interesting. And then I got confused. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah. I don't know what I was going to say. Okay. So uh, issue 250. What? Oh, I was just going to say that's a really good story, Adam. Oh, thanks. <laughs> uh, I, I only have one good story per episode. That's all I can really handle. No, no, no. You're babbling between the, what, what we just did. Uh, and and your idea of like what you wanted to say, but the that that whole thing was a really good story. Yes, <laughs> issue two fifty seven thoughts looks like a lot, but it's not addressing Jeremy's comments. Uh, he does mention you. Oh boy! Uh, on the seeming randomness of Hong Kong as a starting point for the search for the X Men, Wolverine did say that when you want information, this is the place to go. So in addition to an opportunity to hide out and recoup. It looks like going to Hong Kong is also about gathering intel. The strategy makes sense, plus it dovetails conveniently into an encounter with Psylocke, thus accelerating the mission of finding out uh, what happened to the X-Men, two birds with one stone, economical in terms of plot, which isn't something I'm going to complain about in a Claremont comic, if you know what I mean. That is true, but I think your point is like, I think I thought your point was more like, like is, is Hong Kong known as a place of information? Or is it just a contrivance that they did for the story, which seems what it seems to be? Yeah, I don't specifically remember, but knowing the way that I think, I probably would have gone down the line of, oh, they needed to go to Hong Kong because the plot required it, (laughs) which is more or less what what he's saying, right? Like, let's not do a bunch of stupid stuff. Like, let's just cut to the chase. We're going to go to Hong Kong and, oh, here's Betsy. And yeah, 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 move the story along. It's just... I think my complaint was probably like, where where was a note? <laughs> where was the breadcrumb that was like, hey, we should go to Hong Kong? The way they did it makes it seems like it could be anywhere. Hey, right. let's go to let's go to where Betsy is. That's a good place where the information is. Yeah, let's go to Australia. Let's go to uh, let's go to Genosha. Or you know, even I know people in Hong Kong. Let's go there. I don't remember, but anyways. I don't have complaints about it. I, I think, it, as we do, Adam, like we nitpick, we pull things apart, we overanalyze things that probably don't need that much analysis. We're the people that you don't want to talk about a movie with after the movie, because while you may have enjoyed the movie, Adam and I are going to be the people being like, well, how did they get out of the car? There wasn't a scene that tied that together. <laughs> like, we're those people. Oh, man. <laughs> I hate those people. <laughs> I can't believe I hate myself. Don't they know the rule of two thirds? 
I hate the people that do it during the movie more so than the people that do it like oh, sure, sure. after the movie. The, the golden rule of watching a movie, at least with me, and I assume you, is everybody shut the hell up. Yeah. Unless it's a comedy or unless it's just a bad movie and we're all going to riff off of it. And, 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 yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, but if we're watching a movie, like, don't get your beer, get your snack, sit down, go to the bathroom if you need to. But other than that, no distractions, no talking. Definitely don't be on your phone texting with that light on. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> just savages. Anyways. Theater on. is dead. Ah, uh, yeah. Like, Staying on the topic of Psylocke, the retcon that Fabian Nassizia, okay, there's a way to pronounce this, Nassizieza, Nassizieza, Nassizieza. Don't know how to say it. I'm going to say that's how you say it. Nassizieza, and I think I looked it up once, um, made to her in the mid-90s that Psylocke isn't really Pepsi, is mid-grade infuriating. Adam is right to point out the absurdity of it. It undermines what I think. Claremont was trying to do with the Siege Perilous and its aftermath, which is far more nuanced and complex than the trope Nicieza used. We did a few things, a few good things with 90s X-Men, but this wasn't one of them. He he did. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what that story is, having not read it, but it sounds like it's sort of retconning what Chris Claremont was attempting to do. Yeah, you run out of ideas or, you know. Although I think in this very issue uh, of, of X-Men, they point out the fact that um, Betsy's face no longer looks, like new Betsy's face doesn't look like old Betsy's face. There, there was a line of dialogue that we skipped over. Oh. They, they specifically mentioned that, which kind of jives with the thing that Wolverine said two issues ago where it was like, oh, it's got the same face. So already Chris Claremont was retconning his own ideas. Yeah, well, I, yeah. I, I, think, I, think, I think he probably had to because of the way people were drawing Psylocke. Yeah, I, I think it's probably difficult to portray in comics, but it, to me it doesn't, it's, doesn't necessarily uh, not make sense for Betsy to have a new face, new hair, and kind of an a- Asian uh, uh, features of her face, but still have a resemblance of the former um, uh, Betsy Braddock to where somebody who knew Betsy Braddock would be like, you look different, but you look the same. I feel like that could be a thing that they could have played around with. It doesn't really matter one way or the other, to be honest. Well, obviously they transformed her into like this Asian ninja stereotype. Right, right. So like you could, you could just have like the features. You could even, you don't even have to show this for with an artist, but you could have people refer to the fact that there are Betsy's features embedded in this Asian face. Yeah. Which could have been interesting. Yeah. But I guess they decided not to. Yeah. A point of distinction, the banana euphemism directed towards Jubilee by the street hooligans is less about stereotyping and more about a shaming tactic used by some Asians against other Asians of common ethnicity who have been culturally corrupted by the West. What happens to Jubilee is closer to intergroup hostility. Stereotyping is primarily an intergroup phenomenon. Uh, This may seem by nitpicking to me, by me, but the distinction between the two is important. So intergroup versus intragroup mm. you i think you hipped me to the fact of like the, what the banana represented between like western and, and asian cultures colliding and, and i was like oh that makes a lot of sense but i think you know my my silly commentary was the other woman was like 
Jubilee, you don't flash somebody on their own side on their own turf. And that's the thing that was really tripping me up. Is like that doesn't make any sense to me. But we talked at length about that. Yes. So an intergroup is between two groups, whereas intergroup is within one group. And I think I might have, I might have, I think uh, if I'm recalling, and people have probably just listened to this and like, shut up, we already heard it. We don't need you to try <laughs> to remember it, you stupid old person. Uh, but I think she says, uh, just try to peel me and see what, what happens or something like that, which old me before you kind of gave me like what that whole reference meant was like, what? What? Take my clothes off? What? And then the girl saying, like, don't flash them on the turf. I was like, what? What? None of this makes any sense. So the last part still doesn't make any sense to me. But the first part about the banana and the the peeling and all that sort of stuff now makes more sense. But And then uh, close Zave Xavier here is is driving the point home. So So there there is inside of you where there are two beings. There's the literal you and the the you who uh, understands metaphor. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> I guess. Anyway, just, uh, he goes on to say, <laughs> despite its flaws, I still like act, act of vengeance as a concept. Maybe a one shot prologue would have helped frame and unify the disparate pieces for those of us who expected this event to be more of a traditional crossover. And then maybe a one shot epilogue or dedicated conclusion, which provided some narrative weight or justification for what transpired in each of the Marvel titles. The model seems like a standard uh, practice for company-wide events that over the last couple of decades. Maybe the Marvel editors were still experimenting in 89. I think they were definitely experimenting in 89 just because I think Acts of Vengeance was unlike Secret Wars in that there was no main like issue to come back to. Secret Wars had its own series, and Secret Wars 2 had its own series, but there was all this sort of, sort of stuff happening outside of it. And then you have the Acts of Vengeance where there is no main series it's just everything is threaded together so yeah and i think like the 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 interesting thing like i I think jeremy you came at it from like just reading uh x-men and being familiar with that and then kind of dipping your toes into the stuff that actually involved the x-men and being like well this is a lot sillier than this other stuff whereas if you had read like the whole thing together maybe it would have made more sense to you and seemed a little bit less silly i mean parts of it these comics. I think what they needed going to be silly. What they needed uh, was better story. (laughs) Number one, but number two, well, it's 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 not even that because it's like the story is very simple. It's just Loki brings together the bad guys to uh, fight the good guys. I I think just like that old um, uh, uh, mutant massacre map would have been helpful, even though it was more or less crafted in such a way that as long as you read like at least an Avengers or a Fantastic Four story in your entire mix of everything else, you're probably more or less getting the entire story. My problem was I wasn't reading any of those. So the guy that shows up, I don't even think he was in any of the issues that I read of Acts of Vengeance. So I was like, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I think though at the end of the day, like Acts of Vengeance really wasn't an event, a storyline so much as let's have bad like let's have our favorite guys fight different guys and let's let's just the acts of vengeance was, was an excuse for like spider-man to fight magneto i feel like and and this is probably it's been so long but i feel like you know inferno happened that was a big event and then like the next summer event as i recall it was acts of vengeance but i could be wrong it's, it seems like they do one a year yeah and every couple of years, it's like an X-Men one. 
Yeah, then they started doing the um, the annuals, like the Atlantis attacks and whatever else they do in the annuals to tie all those stories together. And that's when I was like, ah, I don't care about any of this stuff. <laughs> Give me my traditional annual one-off story. I don't want to be chapter three of seven $4 annuals. I guess they were like two bucks at the time. but The Evolutionary War um, Atlantis attacks kind of structure i think that goes away with annuals and instead you get four parters and yes you won't that way you only have to buy like three other issues yes because we're coming up on days of future present or something like that right all right well anyways uh he concludes let me finish this one up with psylocke on board with logan jubilee the second of three search parties involved with the search for the x-men is established i look forward to seeing again how this era unfolds take care guys you take care too man and uh yeah all right well there you go thank you for that cloche vic xavier you keep writing we'll keep reading yeah uh and if other people would like to write in and 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 stuff uh you can do so by visiting us at www.xmanpodcast.com facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast twitter us at danger room go email danger room at xmanpodcast.com or go out to iTunes or anywhere that you get your podcasts, subscribe to us there, uh, or go out to www.patreon.com forward slash danger room where we're covering the current Dawn of X story. Ooh. Is that an event? Because I think that just goes on forever. I don't know. I was watching some YouTube video recently uh, where they were calling it an event, but they were also calling it a reimagining of the X-Men lore. And there was also like some speculation of like, ooh, if they made, if Disney Plus made an X-Men uh, show, it could be this. To which I was like, <laughs> I don't think so, but eh, we'll I guess. See. <laughs> I guess. This would seem like a weird thing to throw at a, like new people. Yeah. This is the thing you do after you've got 40 years of baggage. You don't just start here. Yeah. I did, I did see that there is a new event coming up. Mm. Um, something about swords or something like that mm. so i don't i don't know um there, there was also a uh x-men fantastic four uh miniseries that came out recently that we might dip into once we've caught up with the uh the pandemic issues that were released we're almost kind of done with our run oh yeah uh also uh our theme music is provided by laszlo hollyfeld uh and i read uh i read some of these i read most of these well i read all of them Great. So, but but man, uh, some of them I don't remember. Some of them are stinkers. Let me start. Let me get the oh. the big the biggest stinker out of the way. Do it. Is it Wolverine? Marvel Comics? No. Oh. <laughs> Marvel Comics presents number forty five. Um, yeah, nothing happens. <laughs> so 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 Wolverine is in a cave and he's fighting the White Shadow and the Black Shadow, and then it turns out that they're both. Uh, they're both produced by this mutant guy who uh, ran away from the populace when he learned that he was a mutant and his power created white shadows or black shadows. That's that's pretty much all you learn. Did Fred Hembeck draw this cover? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> it, this cover is too crazy to not be a joke. It's by Kevin O'Neill. Sorry, Kevin O'Neill, if you're <laughs> listening. This is a this is a crazy, crazy cover. 
we broke Kevin O'Neill's heart. It everything is so square, and and Wolverine's face. I mean, if if you're the editor, you 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 ask for a redo. This is a style. I mean, this is this is uh, this is somebody's style. He's it, it is very boxy. Wolverine's got um, like zombie teeth. Well, if you flip to the back cover. Uh, you have the Hulk, who also is very, he has fairly square fists and head and muscles. All right, let me take a look. Uh, oh, Hulk Hogan fights the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is terrible. That is kind of funny. Uh, um, this issue is long. I'm trying to get to, oh, uh, the, I don't actually mind that Hulk. I could take this artist as a Hulk artist. It's the same deal. Yeah. I mean. I just don't, the Wolverine and the background characters are, are not good. Yeah, tomato, tomato. But this would be a super fun Hulk run, I think. Okay. Uh, but anyways, yeah. Uh, so, so that was the, for me. That was the worst one. You, you, you wanted to talk about Wolverine twenty four. No, I mean we can if you want to jump right there. I didn't read it. <laughs> so um, it's it is a more or less a fill in issue. Uh, it is it is done by Peter David. Always a pleasure. This this is the other cover that I wanted to talk about. Uh, it is a Jim Lee cover, and it's practically the same pose as earlier where wolverine's got his his arms out his claws extended and he's burying his teeth he's practicing his kegels so this is like jim lee drew two wolverines this this uh this month for covers and they were pretty much the same so this is about a new character named i'm gonna say Snowblind because i don't actually remember and it's about the story that she's in Majapur and she's going to do something bad, but then a little urchin boy steals her suitcase and she has to go after him. Wolverine gets involved and the kid sets off, uh, starts the timer of a bomb, uh, which goes off in the last act, killing Snowblind. And I don't think we ever see her again. And uh, it was all right. It was okay. Um, I think last episode I said that this was the worst issue of Wolverine ever. Um, it's not, it's the next issue, 25. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to not read that one. That, uh, you should read that one just to see how bad it is. Okay. Oh man. I actually haven't read it in years, but as a kid I thought it was bad. So it's just like, maybe, maybe. Excalibur number 22 does not have Alan Davis and that's really all you need to know, but I'll tell you a little bit more. Um, yeah, do, do, do tell, because I had no idea what was going on in this issue. I am so lost. Oh, I'm not going to really do a good job trying to decipher what happened, because I, too, was very lost and very much disinterested in what was happening. But as far as I, I think know... the number of panels is because of the artist or because of Chris Claremont? Because there's like, there's, like, sometimes four or five, six, eight, eight panels on a page. This is just, like... This is overkill, and and dial. It's you know, if it was it was just if it wasn't all filled with dialogue, that'd be another thing. But there's so much so much story shoved into this thing. I I don't know. Um, the takeaways here. So Kitty is on real Earth. The rest of Excalibur is on not real Earth. I don't really know or care what's happening. Uh, <laughs> but there's other X Men. Uh, Crusader X is is Captain Britain, but he's like the superhero. He's got relationships with the Professor, but the Professor's been killed. And Nightcrawler is like a super bad dude, and they have like our Nightcrawler, but they've confused him with the bad Nightcrawler. Uh, Rachel's having like an existential crisis because of there's this whole other story happening with the Hellfire Club, but in 
this reality, I think the Hellfire Club Black Queen is the Shadow King, but she's having, I think, some memories. And I don't know if they're like this Jean Grey's memories in this reality or Jean Grey memories from our reality. But either way, she's having some memories about Jean Grey being corrupted by the uh, Hellfire Club. Uh, and then I guess eventually she was maybe corrupted as well. Um, and then Mojo shows up. And I just don't know if that's like a tie-in to like what happened before she got to Excalibur. Um, I don't know. A lot of that is super confusing. Um, what I did like is Kitty goes to the zoo and visits the Warwolves. The last we saw the Warwolves, they were in a cage in a zoo reading the newspaper and watching TV, which is what they're still doing. They're like this little happy family, uh, like mom's in the kitchen preparing food. Kids are watching TV. Dad's in the sofa reading a paper. And... Uh, uh, we get on the newspaper, illegal action by human and animal rights groups demands that the warwolves be set free, which sounds fun and interesting. So, you know, you got that. <laughs> I'll skim ahead. I thought there was one other thing that was mildly interesting. but So, so I got two things that are mildly interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Archangel is a lady. Yeah. That was kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, Cable shows up and he's just like the head of security. And I have to wonder, like... Um, clearly nobody knew who Cable was at this point because it's, it's kind of, uh, he has a weird relationship with Archangel where yeah. they have like a weird on off sort of they I can live with her dislike if I have to, as long as we get along together. Um, it's just interesting that Cable got like Chris Claremont gloms onto other people's ideas that quick. Yeah. I think Cable's been in two issues of New Mutants and already he's like, I'm putting him in this one. <laughs> It's fine. It's an it's an alternate reality. He's playing around with the characters and be like, okay, well, the, I don't know. I guess there's this cable guy. So this is what he's doing in this reality. To a degree, I feel like I feel like uh, Chris Claremont is, uh, in, like I don't know, but like from the outside looking in, he's he's welcoming Rob Liefeld to the fold and saying your creation is valid, and I'm going to use it, and it doesn't make any difference for what you're doing because it's in a different reality. Maybe, but. I don't, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> that's a, that's a very positive way to look at it. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to bring up was when, when, uh, Rachel is kind of remembering the shadow King and Mojo, that sequence that you talked about, mm-hmm. she says, or, or a caption says that story can be found in Excalibur special editions three and four on sale this spring and summer. Did those happen? Because that seems to be implying that the, origin of rachel has something to do with the shadow king uh there is a yes but i don't know if they're that story but i assume that there are there there's definitely a a kind of a larger formatted like uh, mojo mayhem and excalibur the sword is drawn there's two more of those and i'm assuming that that's what this is in reference to okay i kind of actually look forward to that I don't like the fact that it's a two-parter, but other than that, it's kind of neat. It's going to be like 120-some-odd pages. Yeah, I don't know why it needs to be two parts, but I guess Chris Claremont has a lot of story to tell. Uh, and I don't remember, but I'm hopeful that both of those are drawn by Alan Davis, so at least you'll have that to look at. Or at the very least, Art Adams. Oh, that that would work. I'd be, I'd be down with that. Um, yeah, so uh, I don't know. Uh Tony Stark, Shadow King, they corrupt uh, Rachel. Uh, Nightcrawler does swat, swashbuckling. Captain Britain fights. I I don't know. And then it ends. I don't know. 
And the most important thing is next, Ellen Davis returns. Yes, with Here Comes the Judge. And, and that one I'll probably try to read a little bit more closely. There was a, in the alternate timeline, there's also a brunette who introduces herself as Courtney Ross. And they think she's Kitty Pride. Yeah, and, and Megan's like, like, oh, yeah, she's like, why do you call me Kitty? But then we kind of just turn our attention away from that, and I don't think we ever return to it. <laughs> So I don't know. I, I so I feel like <clears throat> I feel like uh, the story that's trying to be drawn here is that Shadow King is not only doing stuff in our reality or our universe, but he's also got some controls over this particular universe. And this is Excalibur's way of being brought into whatever never actually happened with the whole Shadow King story. Well, we do know that, like, because of that that mutant war thing that. Chris Cronin yes. is working towards that all of all of it has is, is all building up to all be one story. Yeah, and I think this this is this these are the seeds for that, and and like however this was going to resolve itself, there was going to be some residual shadow kingness that followed Excalibur, and then it all leads up to the mutant war that never happened. But so the art of this issue really doesn't bother me. It's just the amount of uh, I don't know if if this being if this was an Alan Davis issue if he could work with all of this material. This is just an insane amount of material. I don't mind. No, I definitely don't mind all of the panels. Uh, the artwork is not Alan Davis, but it's not terrible. It's, it's fine artwork. It's just the amount of words. And I don't know if, uh, I don't remember who the artist is and I've, I've already removed it from my library because I never want to think about that issue again because <laughs> it was such <laughs> a mess, but I don't know if uh, they had a meeting and the artist just went off and did this stuff and turned in the pages and Claremont was like, Oh my, oh, well, the only way to solve this is with words, lots and lots of words. Yes, I, this is, this was a mess. Cause I've, I've read some, um, you know, definitely some Robert Kirkman, uh, comics where there's, you know, a whole page just filled with little bitty panels. Uh, and then, you know, it's sparse words and, and basically the panels just kind of drive that whole story. Uh, and that's fine. But God, when you fill in all of those little tiny panels, with as many words as possible, it really makes it hard to read. And especially when you're like, it's alternate timeline. I don't care because it doesn't matter. There's good words and there's bad words too. I mean, this just feels like like forcing, trying to force a story to be told by just throwing in as many words as possible, and it doesn't really work. Whereas I feel like if 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 it was if there was actually a story that made sense here, then it probably would be a lot better. Yeah. I almost feel like this needs to be reread in order to be understood. I this to me, some of it's fun. I think the stuff that's fun is Alan Davis stuff because I think uh, Alan Davis and Chris Claremont are on the same page. They're they're on the same wavelength. They probably have their meeting, and Chris Claremont's like, "Oh, I know what he's going to put here, so let me just draw these." Claremont looks at it, is like, "Oh, perfect. Let me just write this." And then you've got like really nice artwork more or less generally a flowing story and, and you're, you're satisfied at the end. I feel like when we get these guest artists, like things kind of go off the rails a little bit because the whole story of Excalibur is just wackiness ensues. And so maybe for your standard kind of like beginning, middle and end artist, they're like, I, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. It's too abstract. I don't know. They'll do a weird thing. And, and Claremont's like, this isn't weird. It's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put some words in here to fix it. Doesn't doesn't work. Anyways, uh, X Factor fifty four 
was was a nice little surprise, I thought. Yeah. Um, actually, a couple of surprises uh, in betwixt some of the clunkers here. Um, this one, I didn't actually read it because it says on the very bottom of the page, guest starring Colossus. So I actually started reading this book not realizing that Colossus was in this book. And I just thought this was some random man on the cover. <laughs> um, but we open up... Uh, uh, Angel has just gotten done with some fights with Caliban and, and uh, uh, Sabretooth. And so he's he's all wigged out. He's kind of in like a berserker mode, if you will. He's just having memories of the hospital and he's all wigged out from, from, from the battle. So it's up to X-Factor to settle him down. He's having severe PTSD from when they took his wings away from him at the hospital too. Bobby and Opal, uh, they're getting closer and closer. Opal wants to take him to an art uh, gala tomorrow. She has got a nice apartment. I am. I mean, it's it's like a studio apartment, but it is it is the full studio. I I it Soho in southern Manhattan, bristling with cavernous, is the now home to the thirsting artist community. Sometimes by a lucky miracle, an almost affordable, if raw, loft space can be found. Okay, I didn't read that last part. I. I I was torn between is this her apartment because this is this is like nine New York City apartments yeah, worth this of is space. Insane. Uh, so I kind of thought like, oh, they're in like some common space, like like leased out art space, and they they have the place to themselves this evening for a little date. But no, you're right. This is just her gigantic New York loft apartment. Maybe her mutant power, if she is a mutant secretly, is to. Uh... She's she's like Domino. She has incredible luck. Or she has TARDIS power, where things are bigger on the inside. <laughs> so on the outside, it's like a tiny little hovel. Oh, it's so small. <laughs> uh, anyways, so she's like, yeah, let's go to this art gala tomorrow, but don't be Iceman because everybody will glom over you because you're a mutant. Just be Bobby, and then there won't be any problems. And then Iceman goes past a window where uh, American Colossus sees him and says, hey, Look, out the window. It's Iceman of Ice Factor. <laughs> I almost said Ice Factor. You almost did. Probably heading toward back to his giant ship. Colossus is way up on X Factor right now. Now, mind you that I didn't see Colossus on the cover, the words Colossus, so I'm just like, Oh, well that's clever. They're just they're just it's New York and, and things are happening and, and, and sure, Jenny Ransom and, and and what's his name are there and, and so are Peter. This is just like a little one shot to let you know that Peter's here, but he doesn't know that he's Colossus. Oh. Uh, so then we get introduced to this new vampire character whose name is Crimson. Um, whatever. <laughs> More stuff happens with Angel, and uh, eventually Jean um, says that she's got to go do some things. She tells this to Cyclops. Uh, but meanwhile, Beast is up in the rafters being Mr. Exposition, just telling us <laughs> everything through thought about how they were in love. And every issue is a first person, as a person's first issue. <laughs> yeah, but this is ridiculous. Like, they loved each other, and Scott asked her to marry him, or her, or him and she said no, because she still has thoughts of Phoenix and Madeline. So now she's got to go figure out herself. What you can't see is because it's, it's, a, it's Beast's back, he's actually writing all this down. He's, <laughs> this is the story of Jean Grey and Scott Summers. Their memories, her own desires are shoving her into Scott's arms and she's fighting them stubbornly. It's like, good God, Beast, go mind your own business. <laughs> uh, here there, here's Jean and, and, and Scott with, with little Nathan Christopher Summers. Uh, mm -hmm. Jean is 
more or less foster mother, not really the mother, but since she's kind of absorbed or, or whatever, Madeline kind of mother, they don't really, do they delve into that? I mean, she definitely takes a maternal uh, care of Christopher that I don't. It seems like, a, yeah, I mean, especially when she was on that other planet, yeah. she seemed to be very protective of him. Anyway, so she's like, uh, well, I got to go. And that's that's her exit. Uh, and then next time we see her, she uh, she's attacked by mutants at uh, the mansion. Right. This cuts straight over to where she shows up in X-Men. Beast continues his exposition. Jean needs to find her own identity. Now more than she needs to marry Scott, she needs him to acknowledge that she has the right to choose to make a decision that may break their hearts. <laughs> like all of it, like... It, it's silly. Beast is that really annoying guy at the party who's like describing things that are going on around you. And you're yeah. like, yeah, I know yeah, all these I people. Know. So anyways, uh, Iceman and Beast, they head off to this art gala. Um, everybody's got their eyes on Beast and Beast's like, uh, what's what's going on? And Bobby's like, yeah, they like mutants. So, uh, so, so this is a thing that's weird because like they already did this in Avengers. Like Beast was like... Uh, women were super attracted to Beast for a long time. And at first, Beast was like, oh, this is weird. And then he actually got kind of into it. And now there's, it seems like they've, they started it over. Like he doesn't realize that that's happened before. Uh, so. Yeah, but I think that, yeah, I agree. Um, but I think that the, the, the takeaway here is that all of these arty people, not only are they into art, but they're also into to the mutants and the, the difference that they bring. So if Iceman was all iced up, they would equally be getting all of this adulation and attention. So I suppose. Yeah, I think that's what they're going for. Um, anyways, uh, so Iceman pairs off with Opal to go to go be a couple. Uh, this crimson girl, she's there and she's she can touch people and I guess absorb their their feelings or their their torment or something like that she wants she wants she's hungry and she wants people that have like secrets or or things like that so she goes to one dude and yeah she's an energy vampire yeah and, and he's like oh my god i'm, I'm too scared like uh and she's like oh, okay that was okay but he's he's afraid uh, and then she goes over to beast and she's like "Ooh, well i like this um but then beast like was like, oh, I don't want want any of this. And and the memory that she recalls is of him turning from Hank McCoy into Beast. And she really likes that experience, but I don't know. She wants more or something like that. She wants. Uh, she wants. She doesn't like Beast because he's comfortable with it. It, it no yeah. longer brings him pain. He needs to find somebody who is has a past that they either are not comfortable with or that bring that still brings them pain. Yeah. Um, and to that end, Peter is here because he's also doing uh, an exhibit. And, and Beast is like, oh, my gosh, Pete, I know him. I know that guy. He's like, what are you doing? What are the, the X-Men here? Like, you guys should call. We'll do lunch or something. You and guys are dead. <laughs> oh, wait, they know that. Wait. Yeah. Do they know that they're. OK, so they still think they're dead. No, they fought um, in Inferno. Yeah, but Inferno is where the X-Men died at the end of Inferno, right? No, they died at the end of fall of the mutants oh okay that makes yeah. more sense so, so x-factor knows that the x-men are alive okay. x-factor apparently hasn't told forge banshee and moira hence polaris has to tell them right but anyways uh 
so Peter Nicholas, he's like, I don't know who you are. Maybe you're drunk. Please leave me alone. I'm going to go over here now. <laughs> and that's when uh, Crimson finds him, touches him, and he's like, oh, my God, he's got secrets. He doesn't. He thinks he's a happy man, but he's not. He doesn't know the secrets. And I, I do know these secrets, and I love it. I love all of this. Hey, why don't you come with me to the, to the ceiling, to the, to the top floor? To the uh, to the roof. To the roof. Um, so now that Beast is at the art gala, now the ship is 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 Mister Exposition, where he's like, uh, <laughs> "Angel, wake up! Uh, Cyclops is sleeping, so be quiet." Um, you'll never guess what happened. He's like a total gossiper too. You'll never guess what happened. Scott asked Jean to marry him, and she said no. Um, but 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 you know, let let's just let him gr- grieve grieve a little bit over that, and and let's just be really quiet. So if you want to say something to me, just whisper. Presumably, he's whispering all this exposition too. Nothing nothing is as creepy as whispered exposition. Yeah, from a robot computer. <laughs> and he seemed near consumed with rage and worry and grief. And so. Warren freaks out because like, oh my god, apocalypse! What are you doing? Because he's mistaking he's on the ship, he's in this bay. This is probably the same bay that Apocalypse worked on him to bring him into Archangel. He freaks out again. Um and leaves. Uh and because leaves. he blasts through the side. And Cyclops, of course, realizes all that stuff that you just mentioned. Uh he's like, Oh, why did I bring him here? That was stupid. Beast heads up to the roof and sees that this crimson girl is absorbing everything from Peter and Peter's like, no, no, it isn't true. And and she just wants all of this. She's going to absorb him to, till he's nothing, uh, until he's nothing but a skeleton. But beast interjects, um, scares her away. And, um, Peter's like, Oh man, I saw some things. Uh, but I, I don't know if it's true or not. Yeah. I, I was crazy. Sure if, like I thought, I was like, oh, they're bringing Colossus back in this, but then but at the end of it, he says, uh, it's all gone now. I, I can't remember. Why why can't I remember? Yeah. So I was like, for, for a second, I thought they were bringing back Peter in the pages of X-Factor, but then I should have known better. Yeah, and, and to be honest, I don't remember how they bring Peter back, so this could have been, this could have been the way as I was reading through it, like, oh, this is pretty interesting. But you're right, it's kind of like they did this, but they're like, well, we don't want to commit to anything, so let's just have them forget at the yeah. end, um, which they do. And so then the whole issue ends with, um, you know, they've uh, Beast and and Peter. They're kind of hanging out. Beast or Peter's kind of trusting Beast now to a, to a degree, and and Beast is like, well, I'm going to call the X Men uh, and uh, let them know about Peter. We'll figure all this out. Meanwhile, Crimson is like, oh, I need somebody else, somebody else with loss and misery, and that's when Angel flies by. Right. Next issue, guest writer Peter David. Ooh. That's that's cool. So how how can Beast call the X Men? I uh, he's gonna call Forge. Does he have their Australia number? Maybe. Has he not called it in a while? <laughs> maybe. You know, maybe before as they were kind of like cleaning up after Inferno, they're like, you know, and then next time you're down under, call us on our uh, Reaver phone. So the part that I really liked was like Bobby, when Bobby and Opal are together at the party and they first see the, what was the lady's name? Crystal Crimson. Crimson. Bobby can't stop talking about her. And, oh, right. Uh, and 
Opal like totally ignores that. And it's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, at one point she does, she's, I feel like this is a little out of character unless she's super confident in herself. Um, he says like something like, what else could I look for in a girl? And she turns around. She's like, why me? Of course, silly. Yeah. Which is like, yeah, I feel which like is she probably played. why she wasn't uh, offended at all by Bobby, obviously being obsessed with Crimson for 30 seconds. I don't know. I feel like she'd play a little bit. She might have the self-confidence, but I feel like she'd play a little bit more hard to get than me, I mean, stupid. The, his first line is like, man, is she something skin like marble, like a statue that wandered into the wrong gallery. I think she would be like, hey, uh, pay attention to me. I'm your date. Uh, yeah. So moving on. Incredible Hulk number 369. It's a good issue. I liked it. It's got Freedom Force. It does. Freedom Force uh, at this point is Crimson Commando, um, Pyro and Blob. And, and uh, they were out. They were done. It was over. They weren't going to do anymore. Uh, but Mystique was like, oh, we got to get the Hulk. And they're like, man, we don't want to fight the Hulk. But she like guilts them into fighting the Hulk because she's like, oh, he's the gray Hulk now. He's weak. Don't worry about him. Um, they do talk uh, about. So. Uh, um, so where we last left off, I think where you're, where you're going is that yeah. Blob, Blob was tiny. And he uh, the the uh, he was Ant-Man Ant shrunk him oh, down that's... to the size of Adam's. Right. And we were we had we had mentioned that and we were like, oh, I wonder how Blob gets back. And they they kind of gloss over it. But Mystique says, I can't believe I'm hearing this bad enough. I had to rescue you, Blob, from the effects of Henry Pym's shrinking glass. But the rest of you gallivanting around on unauthorized junkets just because I needed a little time off. And she's referring to all the, the fact that they went uh, after the Avengers. Yep. And they weren't supposed to. But it's, it's just kind of like. We're not going to tell you how you got back. There's no like little side adventure of tiny blob running through the city, <laughs> which I wish there was. <laughs> he could have like found himself and been like, man, if I ever get back to my real size, I'm going to go straight. <laughs> and then when he gets back to his real size, he's like, no, nah, forget that. What was I thinking? I would have loved to have seen that issue. Just a, a little, a little like, oh, this is my life. Like he's just totally down. Like he goes and he meets up with um, Crimson Commando and Pyro and they're like, Look at you, you little blob. You're worthless. Nobody <laughs> likes you. And oh, so, they're right. I mean, nobody does like me. And he's got no money. He's got no food. He's got no place to be. So then he's like sleeping in the sewers with rats and his costume's getting all torn and he finds himself just eating garbage and stuff. And I and, feel so small. Right. I am so small. And then, you know, maybe maybe there's a scene where, where he and some rats, because he's made friends with a bunch of rats... <laughs> Uh, or at least they kind of like take it. He just follows them around. They, they don't or actually. It could, be, it, could, it could be like a tie-in. He meets up with a rat and four turtles. We never know. <laughs> we never we never learn anything about them. Sure. They're, they're just this weird random like, it's, yeah. it's, you know, they're just a rat who happens to be living with four turtles. Absolutely. Maybe teaching maybe teaching them martyr arts. I don't I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but but anyways, they're they're he considers them 
the, they're his friends, but you know they're they're rats and turtles, and so they're they're really all they're driven is by their instincts, and they, they don't really see Blob as a threat, so they just kind of let him tag along, and they make their way to an orphanage, and they're about to steal food from all these kids at the orphanage, but then Blob realizes like all oh, these kids don't have anybody, and I don't have anybody, and I don't like how it makes me feel, so I don't want them to feel like I feel right now, and so he ends up saving the day by like fighting off the rats and the turtles. Uh, thus saving um, Orphanage Christmas, and he's redeemed himself, and he says, oh, if I ever get back to my real size, I'm going to devote my life to charity. And that's when Mystique shows up and, uh, um, yeah. Re-enlarges him? Re-enlarges him. And uh, and when he, get, when he gets re-enlarged, a truck holding, like, this mutagenic on the back of it hits <laughs> the blob, and the mutagen flies off, hitting Daredevil in the face, and then goes into the sewers um i mean you know a a variation on that could happen but but bottom line like we think blob is going to learn a lesson and be a changed man but really he's just the same old blob of course none of that happens (laughs) did you there was there was a there was a really good um this reminds me of there there was a, a rhino story done in uh i think the 2000s on a, in a spider-man title that they basically redid flowers for algernon oh where they they made uh, the rhino like super smart for a while and then he slowly starts getting dumber and dumber it was really sad sure it was a it was a fun little story this is like uh this would be like my emotions for algernon if they, if, <laughs> if you replace the smarts with emotions that's that's yeah, the yeah. story that i'm telling you uh, and then when he gets big he loses all those emotions and and he's like go on a sandwich anyways uh also i the thing i was actually trying to point out was avalanche is here he didn't die i think we thought he died but he's just bandaged up um but but stonewall uh he's done and so is destiny stonewall destiny are definitely dead destiny even isn't even mentioned we thought after what happened with destiny you wouldn't be back says crimson commando uh, super saber as we will find out in new mutants is also still around but he's going under he's going under a different name. He goes under a couple of different names. Uh, <laughs> a couple of times he's referred to as Silver Saber, Silver Saber, and then and Super then back to Saber. Super Saber. Yeah. yeah. So it's like wh- whoever's writing him just couldn't make a decision. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, Mystique convinces them to go get the Gray Hulk, and uh, which they attempt to do. There's a whole story here. It's very interesting about an abused kid, David Banner, refla- or, or, or um, Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner, rather. Uh, that that story res- resounds with him because um, he was abused. And I guess Gray Hulk and uh, Banner are sort of sharing memories because uh, ultimately, you know, they they fight, they take down Bruce, who end up turning into the Hulk, and uh, this boy plays an integral role in the story in which Hulk's like, I care about that boy. I don't know why, but I do. <laughs> and and um, Crimson Commando has kind of an existential crisis as well. He's like, I'm old enough to be a grandfather. I never settled down and had a kid. Really should have been a grandfather. Uh, and then this boy, does he die? So so the boy, it turns out, isn't abused. But uh, so, so Bruce wanted to form a connection from around that abuse, but it turns out his father... Is an okay guy, um, but he lost his uh, hearing. So when the house gets destroyed, the the child is in the house and he doesn't like run or anything like that. Um, and so the house gets destroyed on top of him, 
and then the Hulk and Crimson Commando team up together to pull all of the rubble off of the kid, and uh, Hulk runs and goes and grabs an ambulance, literally picking it up and running it over, and then they get the kid into the ambulance, and Hulk knocks out Crimson Commando, and they they jump, I guess Hulk jumps back to the hospital. Well, I really think, you know, this whole fight happens, and, and I think Hulk is like, you should go, like, leave me alone. But meanwhile, these uh, Blob and Crimson Commando and Pyro are, are trying to execute on their mission. And ultimately, it's their mistakes that puts the boy in harm harm's yeah. way. Yeah. And even though they work as a team to save the boy, Hulk's like, whatever, and, and punches Crimson Commando of like, you start, you caused this. This is your fault. So what actually causes it is that... Uh, Hulk takes a big slat of uh, metal and hits. He, he gets uh, Blob to fly through the air, and then he hits him like a baseball, and the uh, he lands in the house that the kid Jack was in. And yeah. Hulk hears somebody going Jack, and he's like, "Wait a minute! I know that name. That's a kid. That's a kid with glasses. Oh no!" Yeah, but I mean, I guess the, throughout the whole thing, Hulk's kind of holding back and just being like, "Like, I don't want to do this. Let's not do this." Yeah. But they keep they keep you know pressuring him, and finally Hulk's like, "All right, that's it." And there's a really good panel between Hulk and Blob where Hulk says, "No more, Mister Nice Guy," and the Blob's like, "Oh man, I'm really <laughs> scared right now." And uh, Blob's like, "You can't move me," and Blob's or Hulk's like, "I'm going to just grab your stomach and pull it until you choose to move." And uh, Blob's like, uh, uh, my powers don't work like this. Stop it. Don't do that. Oh, and then he it, it ends up hurting him and he goes flying towards uh, the Hulk thinking, I think that um, if he flies into the Hulk, he'll knock him out. But Hulk, as he's gray, he's a little bit smarter. He's like, well, I was hoping you'd try that. And so he punches him and punches him and punches him and punches him and punches him. And then, yeah, swings a, a steel girder at Beast uh, into the building. Yeah. So anyways, it's, it's fun. a fun, fun little story. Um, I, I especially like the character development with Crimson Commando, where he's like, second, like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> and also, like, typically when you see Blob, he's like, nothing can stop me. I'm the Blob. But in this, he's like, oh man, the Hulk. I don't want to fight the Hulk. He scares me. Yeah, and I think that doesn't Mystique have to convince him that maybe well, he's gray now. He's he's yes. littler. Yep. He's a little. He's a little weaker. And the Blob's like, oh yeah, I can totally go take on the Hulk. I'll let you uh, take the reins here for <laughs> Captain America 369. Well, Captain America 369 basically uh, continues the story where the Red Skull is buried underneath. Well, he's buried in some room that Magneto buried him in. So all the people that work for Red Skull are trying to find him, and they figure that Magneto works for the Hellfire Club, so they go in to invade the Hellfire Club. And they go in through the sewers, and they end up fighting Hellfire goons and Selene, and uh, eventually quickly learn that uh, Red Skull is not there, so they leave. But Captain America comes in and also fights Selene. And then the, uh, the Selene doesn't, doesn't want the Avengers to really get involved with the Hellfire Club, so she leaves and brings the ceiling down on all of them. So that, that's all that really happens. There's a, there's a fun little backup story. With the Red Skull? Yeah, with the Red Skull descending into madness and coming to terms with his situation. And then, I don't know. Everybody's telling him he should just kill himself. 
but he thinks like Captain America is the one thing that keeps him from living. He's like, oh, you saved me. I hate you. But anyways, yeah. And then there was Avengers West Coast number 57. Which, uh, we got got some cool stuff in that one. Um, There's a new Asteroid M. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Magneto captures the West Coast Avengers. Well, he comes and gets his kids. Um, Quicksilver's being weird. He keeps making up reasons like, oh, let's, let's let them go and make examples out of them. Like, Definitely playing it up an angle where I feel like Quicksilver is being set up for a double cross against Magneto. Well, Quicksilver says it at some point. He's like, ah. I'm I'm going to get my final vengeance, presumably, against Magneto. So they fly up to um, Asteroid M. They go up to Asteroid M, which is apparently the new Asteroid M because the old one was destroyed. And he talks about how I needed a backup plan in case the whole Hellfire Club doesn't work out. So I will uh, build this asteroid. And we also learn when Magneto uses his powers against Iron Man that Iron Man has developed defense against the magnetic arts, if you will. So Magneto's powers don't affect Iron Man. So that was kind of neat. The Avengers eventually fly up to asteroid M. Magneto takes a bunch of metal, encases them all in a big metal ball. Uh, Scarlet Witch is like, crush them, kill them! And Magneto's like, no, I'm going to put them back on Earth. But now they know, and that's good enough. The days when Magneto might have slain a helpless foe are are far behind us. Let this serve instead as a lesson to the Avengers and to anybody who would stand against us. Magneto has enough power that he can be lenient when it is his wish. They will not be uh, so uh, fortunate a third time, though. Yeah, I don't know. After uh, Quicksilver says including the moment of my final vengeance, he seems to disappear for the rest of the issue. He doesn't want to be involved. He's getting his big vengeance plans ready. Acts of Quicksilver vengeance? Yes, exactly. And then we got New Mutants number 89. I liked this. I hate to say as much as we make fun of Rob Liefeld, uh, I got to be honest, like the pacing in these books is is really brisk. Well, yeah, They're, they're your con air almost. The art's a little ridiculous, as we've mentioned. Um, his portrayal of Blob is just insane. <laughs> um, I don't feel like anybody knows who Cable is at this point, except for everybody. Well, I don't. I, what I mean is, like, what Cable becomes. Oh, I don't, sure. No, I, don't, no, no, I, don't, no. I don't. I don't think they know anything about Cable traveling through time. No, no, or anything like that. Any of his relations. I think right now Cable is just a guy in the Marvel Universe, who's supposed to be tough. So some takeaways here is, how did uh, the New Mutants meet up with Cable? Well, let me tell you, Adam, the uh, Freedom Force, Pyro and uh, Blob, busy month for those guys, uh, they (laughs) ambush Cable uh, after their ships have crashed earlier in the issue, and the New Mutants are like, oh man, who are the, the Freedom Forces beating up on an old man? And they jump in and they fight, uh, and Crimson Commando, Pyro, and Blob pretty much take out these new mutants. Uh, and, and Cable is able to kind of take them out as well. He's like, all right, kids, come with me. So that's that's kind of how they meet. Um, Moira McTaggart shows up, and she's like, come with me, Wolfsbane. You're coming back to the island. You got no choice. And uh, 
Richter sets up a plan to give Wolfbane some time to say goodbye to the rest of the New Mutants who haven't gotten back yet, and he has Warlock pretend to be her helicopter and then destroys it. Um, and so she's all mad and stuff. And Cable shows up and she's like, hey, Moira, we're old friends. Back, <laughs> back from our days of hanging out together. And Moira's like, well... I'm a mutant and you're a time traveler. These are things that nobody knows about us yet. So I don't see how that could be possible. Yeah, right. She's ultimately like, hey, why don't you take over the new mutants and you can keep, uh, you can keep, you can keep Wolfsbane. Yeah. Cable tells her the plot of what happened to uh, Rusty and Skids. Skids Blevins. They use that name again. What happened to Rusty Collins and Skid Blevins? And uh, Cable is basically like, you should let me go with the New Mutants. And Moira is like, all right, okay. Yeah. So it's uh, it's not, I don't, it's it's a fun, it's a fun story. Um, it's brisk, as I mentioned. I, I like the colors, I guess. Um, but when you kind of put everything together, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Like we we're building up to this whole thing of Moira's like, oh, she's got to come with me back to the island. And we know that something's going on. And throughout the whole thing, they're like, why is she doing this? It doesn't make any sense. And then Cable shows up and he's like, let her stay with me. And she's like, okay. By the way, I've been talking with Legion on the computer for some reason, and now I'm going to fly back to the island. It's okay. You keep her. And he tells Moira, I believe that with special power comes special responsibility. <laughs> right. Terrorists are building a bomb that will threaten all life on Earth. I need allies. You'd use children as your army, says Moira? Who better? It's their world, their future. And then Legion on the line says, you know what? I think he's right. And Moira says, I was thinking that too. All right, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm out. So we can we can just say that's the Shadow King's influence. Sure. The Shadow sure. King maybe was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with these kids. Forget it. This plan's stupid. Tell them all to go home. But I mean, really what this is, is like uh, having to resolve all of the plots that were like still there and building up to the the new mutants that Rob Liefeld wants to tell. Yeah. Yep. All those loose ends that he doesn't want to deal with. They're all cleaned up. Yep. So now we have exactly what we, he wants to do, which is new mutants as a paramilitary cable run organization. And, uh, I'm sure it's going to be lots of fun. It's definitely, it's definitely different. There you go back and forth from calling uh silver saber, super saber, and Silver Saber, I guess to yeah. the point where I don't even know what his name is. <laughs> so, like, they, you had brought up that they did that before, and then they did it again in this issue, and then I couldn't remember what his actual name was. It's Super Saber. It started off as Super Saber. By the time you, you they bring him up later in the issue and they say it correctly, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's what it was. So they got it wrong. They got it right. At least, at least they got it right once. <laughs> There's... A line in one of these comics, I feel like it's here, where somebody's like, or maybe it's in the Hulk, I don't remember which one, but they're like, oh man, that big guy, he looks like Roseanne's husband. <laughs> I don't remember which issue it was, I don't know if you remember that line, but I was like, yeah, oh. Yeah. It's like, man, that's a low blow. First of all, it's John Goodman. You don't make fun of John Goodman. Second of all, like, it's just a, it's a bad joke. Yeah, John Goodman does not look like, was it Blob? I don't know. I, Blob's the only one that it could be a reference to, but I'm not immediately. I, I made a I made a note. It was two weeks ago when we read this. I was like, oh, I got to remember this because I want to talk about this because it makes me angry. <laughs> <And> now <laughs> I don't remember which comic it was in, but 
Needless to say, there was a, a pretty awful John Goodman joke. Unless, maybe, when they said Roseanne's husband, they were referring to Tom Arnold. I think they... I think it was... I thought it was John Goodman as well, so... <laughs> well, they said Roseanne's husband, so... Do they mean Roseanne the person, or do they mean Roseanne the show? See, I'd, I'd really have to find the joke in order to answer that question. No, they I'm mean just... John Goodman, but you know, in my my mind, I'm like probably at the time she was married to Tom Arnold, and it's... Tom Arnold doesn't look that bad either. Uh he he goes through phases where he's like ooh, and then he's like he kind of slim. He, and John Goodman, uh, to his credit, he does the same thing. Like if you watch the Roseanne show, uh, start to finish, like he's they they both start out pretty big and then throughout the series they they're, they're never skinny but they slim down and then they get big and then they they slim down uh i don't know hollywood yo-yo diets i i would guess and then if you're watching like the current roseanne which i've caught a few issues of uh which doesn't actually have roseanne because evidently she's crazy and it just has john goodman i was gonna ask you is is the connors still on i don't know with covid if it's still on oh yeah that's um the last episode i watched was their live simulcast where the primaries were occurring and they did a live uh uh show and i think they did it twice i think they had to do it for the east coast and then one for the west coast and as they were doing the episode like somebody would be in the living room watching the primaries being like oh biden got another electoral vote or whatever they were commenting it was it was interesting um that was a while ago that was probably last november maybe i uh I haven't caught, I haven't watched any of the new Roseanne or the post Roseanne Roseanne. So uh, I'm a I'm a I, I like Roseanne. It also feeds into my nostalgia. Uh, and when they announced this, I was like, oh okay, I'll watch this. Uh, there's a little cringy, uh, in my opinion, at, at the at the beginning. They, they, there were some odd character choices. I was like, ooh, I don't know. Um, and then when they got rid of uh, Roseanne, they I feel like they tapered off some of those character. Uh, uh, traits that they were trying to work in to be, I don't know, edgy or something. Uh, but it just kind of came off as, um, I, I don't know. They were, they were, I don't know. There was a character that they were trying to do, like some trans pan by thing. And I was like, I, you don't, I, as I watch this, I'm not seeing that you understand this character or this person. I don't think you should be doing it, is the way it came <laughs> off to me. But now, again, I only watched like the first episode and I was immediately like, I don't. I don't, not that I don't like that idea. It's a fine idea. I just feel like the execution was like, I feel like this is, it, it didn't, like they're doing it to be trendy, not because <sighs> they, they want to tell a story. Yeah. But I also just didn't feel like they really understood it and they were going to do like, I don't know, like, I don't know. I don't know how to say it without sound, sounding judgmental. I, I just don't feel like they had the, the right people on the creative staff as a consultant to be like, Yes, this is a good situation. Talk about we can crack a couple of jokes here, but there's a moral at the end here. Um, I feel like they were just trying to wing it, and it, it just felt it just felt weird. Um, but then, anyways, Roseanne went on her tirade, and then they just brought it back as the Connors, which is great because I love uh, John Goodman and I love uh, the uh, Laurie Metcalf, uh, and they're both central uh, characters in the story. And then they even brought um, uh, what's her name. Um, uh, Al Bundy's wife, oh. <laughs> Peg, Peg. <laughs> uh, who was in Futurama and yeah. uh, that motorcycle show that everybody likes. Um, oh yeah, she was in that. I, yeah. I haven't seen that, but I yeah. And I like her. Uh, 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 her name was just there, and now it's gone. But anyways, uh, the the you know those three characters forming like 
like the the core of the the series uh the few episodes i caught i i liked but then covid happened and i don't think i think they filmed those i don't know if they shot the entire season then aired them or if they were kind of shooting them as they went because they had that kind of studio feel if you know what i mean uh what do they call it uh three camera versus single camera yeah where they basically set up a stage play have three cameras and they're just like cutting back and forth and the performers are actually just doing the entire show right without you know only cutting to move from one set to the next set right yeah so anyways i don't know usually you can tell when they say so and so shot before a live studio audience yeah isn't that usually a lie but those are the shows that are the three camera thing is it usually a lie i suppose it could be I, I don't know. There's some shows that I know. I know there are like the laugh track shows and then there are the shows where they have the laugh track where they tell you when to laugh. Yeah. And like, there's like uh, you get your huge laugh signs. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I think that those might be game shows. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. <coughs> um, nothing's as distracting as the laugh track in Big Bang Theory. <laughs> Why is that? Because that show takes place in like seven sets per episode there's no way it's filmed live <laughs> uh, and yet it's uproarious laughter anytime sheldon says something i've never seen that show i got bamboozled by it i watched like the first six or so seasons and then i was like oh, i'm done wait you can't say you what you watched you got bamboozled because you watched the first six or seven seasons i, I watched i was a fan i'll, I'll get i was watching it uh, and then i i it just got old and now when I see it, like on a rerun, it's not like a show where it's like, ooh, I love this episode. It's like, yeah, this is on. I don't want to watch this. <laughs> right? So like Simpsons, I could watch over and over and over again. Uh, this, I, I watched it. Uh, that's why I said it was bamboozled because it's it's kind of got like nerd culture. It's got computer culture, all the things that, that you think that, that we would get into. It's got comic book culture, et cetera. But they only ever scratch the surface and be like, we're going to play some classic video games. Here's Super Mario Brothers cut to next scene and you're like well now you didn't like dive into it and whenever they talk about comics they're only ever at a comic book store like thumbing through comics nobody's making any deep cut like batman or superman references it reminds me did you have you watched the first episode of star trek lower decks yet no all right we we got to talk about it oh okay uh we'll save that for the next patreon uh i have it queued up uh I was actually not going to watch it, but if if we got to talk about it, I'll watch it. I think it's only a half an hour, so I'll, I'll commit it's, to that. It, it's it's very short. I just need somebody to complain with. Okay, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> I will put my complaining glasses on and uh, I will watch it with scrutiny, and I'll be ready to complain too. Woohoo! <laughs> or maybe I'll love it. I'll be like, Adam, are you kidding me? This is CBS All Access Gold. I hope you do. I, 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 I truly, I truly hope you do. Good. Then we can dovetail into what we thought about Picard. Oh God. <laughs> okay. Unless, unless we already did that, I don't remember. I don't think we did. Okay. Because I, I think we were, we kind of probably touched upon it when it was airing, but I don't think we talked about it now that it's over. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's been more than enough for this oh, week, Adam. For sure. So, uh, until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name is Adam. And the danger room is closed. Yeah.